This is Aaron, Jeremiah, and Nate. We play in a band together. We spent years in a band discussing music and everything else. This is a podcast mostly about everything else. Thanks for listening. I know this show hasn't existed long enough to have much of a routine, but today's episode starts a little different than the others we've released so far, so we wanted to start with a few notes. First, today's episode is a bit on the long side, but please make sure you stick around or skip ahead to hear our conversation with today's special guest, Broen Lawler. Broen was the guitarist for Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, and now plays in St. Paul and the Broken Bones. If you haven't heard of St. Paul and the Broken Bones, just pause this episode right now and go watch their Tiny Desk performance on YouTube. It's amazing. Broen is a gifted painter, guitarist, as well as a loving father and all-around thoughtful guy. And on top of all that, he knows Lizzo. So if you just want to skip ahead and hear his interview, that should start a little after the hour mark. Secondly, one of our favorite parts of being a band is sharing and processing life together. We have spent more hours talking through the good and the bad of life and everything in between in vans and practice rooms than we have ever spent making music by far. It's not even close. And those conversations have been one of the most valuable tools for each of us to grow, learn, and stay hopeful. One of the big hope for Between the Notes is that you would feel like you are being invited to listen in and maybe even join a circle of trust and respect where we look to encourage, direct, and criticize one another always out of love. We give each other the benefit of the doubt and thus feel safe to be honest. If I am right, I will be encouraged. If I am wrong, I will be corrected. But I will not be shamed, and regardless, I will grow wiser. That being said, the intro to this episode is heavy. We are heartbroken over the brutal murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and we are both inspired and troubled by all that has happened since. We don't for one moment pretend to have the answer. This show is not a platform for three gurus to share our wisdom with the world. We weren't talking about it because we have the answer. We were talking about it because we don't. We are simply heartbroken and angry and processing together. To talk about anything else would have been disingenuous. We have heard from several prominent leaders in the black community this week that the one thing we should not do is be silent and look the other way. So to all our brothers and sisters of color, we hear you and recognize that you have called us to look listen, and join you in helping bring true justice to an unjust system. We hope this honest conversation can be boiled down to one simple truth. You matter to us. So thanks for listening. Your boy Killer Mike just killed it the other day. I know. Yeah, he did. That was awesome. Dang, man. He had me in tears. That was sick. It was, it was like the first thing that felt like it made sense. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Dude, were you per- like even just a notch more proud of your city when that happened? Uh, yeah, of course. Did, I mean, did, did, you, obviously, it's cool. I just didn't know if it had an effect on like, oh, I'm proud to be from Atlanta right now. Yeah, I mean, in general, I think Atlanta handles <clears throat> this kind of stuff better than a lot of places. Really, because it's. It's like, it's like a thing. Like it's like a th- ongoing thing. You know, other places just ignore it. Like in Minneapolis, I mean, I loved living in Minneapolis, but there was a police problem like, like forever. You know, there's just a diversity problem there in general. It's interesting because you think of like the North as like being different. It is different. Like <clears throat> it's, it's kind of hard to explain. 
Um, but basically, like, <clears throat> there is, like, having lived in the South now for, like, years, you know, five years, there's definitely, like, a problem with the way, like, middle-class white America just, like, has an ingrained problem, right? That I would say is is not, is different than <clears throat> how it is, like, where where I grew up, where I would say there isn't, like, an externalized, like, latent, like, racist attitude to, like, I, I guess I'll just say, like, north, like, the like being from Minnesota, <clears throat> at least like growing up in the suburbs, I I didn't feel like racism was a thing. Like it just didn't exist. Um, and I think being in living in Georgia and dealing with some people here, I hear stuff and I'm like, I would never say that. Or no one would, no one that I grew up with would ever say that. Like, because it would just be recognized yeah. as being racist. But that doesn't mean that there isn't racism there. It's just like, it's just like under the surface, I think. It's just like that sort of systematic white privilege that exists more than anything. Um, I, I don't know if it's true, like, now or there. <laughs> but like, my so my dad grew up in Vermont, um, which is the north. Yeah, and he would have said like, "Oh yeah, it wasn't an issue there." But also, he's like, "It's it wasn't an issue because there literally were no black people where he lived. Like, it's just not as diverse up where. Obviously, now is different, likely. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I think there was like one black person in my high school, and it wasn't because of segregation. It was just like they didn't live up there. Um, yeah, in so the that, in the that- small town of." like middle Vermont where he lived, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't even really the opportunity to know if it did exist or not. There, that wasn't as extreme. Like where I was from, there was plenty of black people I went to school with and stuff. And I never thought anything of it as a kid. Like it, like I wasn't, I wasn't, there was no like a uh, preconceived idea that like a black person was any different than a white person, which is like, that's great. Like, I don't think everyone was in my situation. Um, but they're like, yeah, it was just less diverse in general. Like Atlanta is majority black. So that's a whole different dynamic. Well, I wonder though, if we're all in the category of like, even in high school, we didn't even really, it, it took till probably college or maybe after to recognize that racism still exists. Right. So I, that's what I was trying to get at is I don't, I'm not trying to say there wasn't racism. I'm sure if you talk to the black people I went to school with, they would say there was, um, mm. but it wasn't something like we didn't to, to my experience, there wasn't like a lot to that. Like the color of your skin didn't really factor in a whole lot. Um, but yeah, like I said, that's at, just at my... least that at least that we recognized, you know, oh, at least that I'm, we noticed. Yeah. I'm trying to point out that, that that's <laughs> probably not the truth, but that's, that was what it felt like. It did. It just felt like, well, racism is like a thing that happened and it sucked. And yeah. that's how it felt. I don't think that was probably the reality of it. Um, but then I left school and then life changed a lot because 
you're like in the city more and you're dealing with all kinds of different people and you know i don't know yeah well i mean i went to high school obviously in northern virginia <laughs> and my high school was like it was not close to i don't know what number you got to hit to be considered diverse but like it was not all monochrome it wasn't one thing but it was almost all suburb suburbs suburbs it was almost um, all suburbs it was almost all suburbs and so like i had plenty of black friends like growing up and uh i mean i guess as i got older i realized you know when i was a kid i didn't think anything of it because right, i went right. to public school and i had every color with me and i don't we didn't talk about it much um it didn't seem like it needed to be like what was there to say they're just like it's like it's just in at least i think when i was little it's just like some people wear different color clothes like it didn't occur to me to be an issue obviously because it wasn't affecting me um right. and then when you know and then when i was coming up in middle school and high school uh gangster rap was everybody liked it that was pop music you know everybody mm -hmm. was listening to to like uh snoop dogg and dr dre uh, and tupac and all that stuff like happened when i was in middle school and high school and so it, every, there was no I don't remember any talk of cultural appropriation. It was just everybody liked it because it was popular, you know? And sure. uh, when I got to high school, it wasn't just like the kids that embraced that as like a way to to dress and maybe even as like a vibe to put off, like being tough, like kind of needing to put off like this. Like sometimes it, it seemed a little bit unapproachable. It was not split over color lines. Like I knew kids of all color races that like dressed that way. Like, so yeah. it wasn't like in my high school, there was like white kids and black kids it was more, and again, this was in the suburbs, and I don't feel like it was in college till I got educated and began to understand, like that that I had had a maybe potentially had a maybe fundamentally different experience and lens, you know, that was like prepared keeping me from seeing a lot of other stuff that was going on. Yeah, well, and going to a private university doesn't help get there any quicker. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, at least I went to public high school, but I mean, yeah, in the in the, I mean in Northern Virginia is like not the cheapest place to live. And almost everybody I knew like uh, was like their parents were well-to-do worked some government job or contract or whatever. So um, I was probably one of the poorest kids. I like, I wasn't one of the poorest, but like I certainly was not as well. All my friends had bigger houses than we almost all of them. Or maybe I was just strategically like befriending wealthier kids. Oh, without recognizing. Now we're getting down to it. They had good <laughs> pools, you know? You yeah. want to get, get that good pool, actually. We didn't have – no one had a pool in Minnesota because it's impractical. Well, what <laughs> – so, like, none of this is surprising to you. Because there's a lake going on in Minnesota. So, like, after yeah. – so, like, high school, I would just put it in the category of, like, I was just in a, this very privileged situation where I didn't – it just didn't ever collide. I never had to really face up to it. Um, And then I moved to Minneapolis, and – yeah, I mean Minneapolis is a different place. Like it's not the suburbs. Um and you start to see people interacting with other cultures like on a day-to-day -day basis and then you really start to see like what people actually think, you know, like how they how you actually react to somebody who's different than you. And yeah, I mean that was like a definitely uh yeah, like it was eye-opening and disappointing for some you know to see how some people treated other people and stuff like that i mean it was just part of the concoction of things that made me want to leave college as soon as possible <laughs> like 
Yeah. I was just like, these people are awful. Like, I made a lot of friends there, and I started a band out of it. But yeah, I mean, a lot. There's a lot of people there that I just think were, you know, I would I would hope that they aren't hopeless, but they haven't. <laughs> of of the limited <laughs> exposure I've had to those people, they haven't really changed. So that's how it's got to be. Do you guys remember well, ever seeing or experiencing something that's like, oh, that's straight up racist? Oh, yeah, for sure. Not not ever like when I was a kid or it never like really stuck with me. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, after. And like I said, that that could just be my limited scope of what life was like. And also, I should say, like being like growing up in the suburbs of Minneapolis, there's not really like, you know, no one has like Confederate flag trucks and stuff like like. That's something that I see here, like, you know, like the Confederacy didn't meet doesn't mean anything to people from Minnesota. And if it does, those people are idiots. Uh, <laughs> not to say that that it's excusable to anyone, not but to it's say particularly they're stupid, but stupid. They're definitely dumb. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyone who likes a Confederate flag is an idiot, but you know, I I mean, I don't even have to argue that. Yeah. Yeah, Nate, can you give us a hot take cuz that's definitely not one. That's that, like, yeah, that should be the coolest, like, tepid that be take the most of all time. Tepid takes with Nate. Yeah. <laughs> tepid takes with Nate. Uh, yeah, it's funny. When I was in high school, like, I do remember, Jeremiah, some blatantly racist things being said. But I remember them being said by, like, troubled, like, the kids who were normally in trouble who were going to say any jacked up thing they could to anyone they didn't like. Right. And so it was like... Oh, they just grabbed it some to me, they grabbed it like an and a word that wasn't safe for them to use or an antiquated term. Like they would have done that to any whatever you were, they were gonna find that and say it. Right. So I guess I didn't think much of it because I was like, Well, I mean, I'd get uh one of my best friends in third grade, her her name was Ebony. She was a really uh really, really dark skinned black girl and one of my she was amazing. And she would call me bleachy or blondie, but I I like never, you know, like I have blonde hair. So to me, it's just like, fair enough. Or when people made color fun of like each other's skin, I was just like, everybody can have a joke in some way. You can right. make a joke about how white someone is, how dark they are, how, how much they're stuck in the middle. So I guess it didn't <clears> occur <throat> to me to really, I mean, by high school, I knew there was racism, but in my high school, it was like the cliques were more made about more around like what you liked and what you were into than it, than they were along racial lines. Um, like there was, black guys who were like part of the kind of the redneck crew and um like we had some like our, our soccer team and our football team and all our sports team were so integrated so do you jeremiah have clear memories of that kind of thing um i have one from like early on where i would put it in a in a similar category to what you're saying where like looking back like that guy just had no clue who he was or he just was like trying to find himself and just saying what he thought was cool or whatever. Um, but beyond that, it's no, I haven't experienced a ton of um, blatant racism. I mean, a lot of that has to do with um, I haven't had many close friends of color. Um, I've lived in neighborhoods that were where I was I don't know if I would be the minority, but maybe like 50-50, you know, um, white and black. Um, And I'd say that's where I probably have gotten closest to seeing it. 
but I, a lot of it has been a practice of like accepting that it is common regardless of right. whether I see it or not. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Starting to get to see through other people's eyes and hear their stories. And like, you know, I remember talking to one of our mutual friends once Jeremiah and we were just talking about like, it was just really clear that when anytime he got pulled over by the cops, like he, there was a deep, real fear for his life. And when I get pulled over by the cops, I generally think this is going to work out. Like this right. would be at, like, I might get a ticket. I'm thinking maybe People I'll get like a ticket. People like me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like, <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll get out of the ticket. Worst case, I'll get a ticket. Right. I, and like a, no thought for my life. And the fact that that is clearly such a thing for most people is, um, it was eye opening to realize that like, uh, right. I mean, we, we had a friend, the beginning of our friendship was like, we were hanging out with him a bunch in Charlotte and, um, and we were just being the same way we'd be to anybody, not recognizing like that him being friends with us was like a monumental thing for him. And then he showed right. up a couple nights later drunk and was trying to figure out what we were trying to exploit from him, like what we were trying to get on him because he, then he just told me like, I've never had a white friend. Like I, right. I've, only been exploited by white people. And right. that was just like, that was mind blowing to me, you know, like that was heart heartbreaking. Um, and then just to realize, Oh yeah, we're going to have to earn it. Like you don't have to give us your trust, you know, we'll earn, we'll earn it or we won't. Mm -hmm. But to realize that he'd never had a friend or never had a, a even a good, like all of his in interactions with white people were, were bad. Yeah. That's and that crazy. just shows I'm, like, that that's like the level of privilege and like the amount of oh yeah like you know it just shows like how much w w like we're able to take for granted because that that seems so like unbelievable right to to us we're like oh like how like that's so crazy but it's like that's literally that person's life <laughs> you know what i mean like it's right. so different and it's and that's the the part that i you know that just needs work, right? Like just understanding other people's point of view is so important and not getting immediately defensive and going, yeah, you know, like, no, my life is hard too. And like, and, and you don't understand my point of view. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we're all working towards that. Right. Like that's, yeah, that's like kind of the dream of like interconnectivity is that we could learn from each other. Everyone can learn from each other better and understand each other better. But we haven't seen that. Like we're like, honestly, I think we were moving in a interesting direction because of COVID-19. Like I think, and this is j probably just my perspective on it, but I f it felt like people were getting better at relating to each other on the internet because that was the only thing we had. Mm -hmm. And maybe, like I said, that could just be from my point of view. But I was like, oh, this might actually help move people f away from just like trolling each other constantly and fighting with each other. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was listening to, um, a, you know, thinking about is it getting better or not? Like I've always been like, well, whatever problems we have, I'm just going to address it in my life. Like I'll... I will mm -hmm. be good to my neighbors, like all of my neighbors of whatever race and whoever meets me, like that's what I can do. I can make sure that they know they're loved and I can give everybody an equal shot. And in that way I can fix it. And I, and I'm for the first time in my life. And that's been the only thing I could handle for like 
-hmm. the last 20 years of semi-adulthood. But it's becoming clear to me that like, no, there's fundamental systems. I mean, we could, we could zoom out even bigger, but in our country that was, you know, built on slavery and, and capitalism was born out of that. Like, I don't think a problem like that gets fixed. Maybe it takes as long to fix it as it, as it, as it existed. You know, maybe the scar takes as long to heal. And I think we're conflating because people get so defensive. Like you were saying, fault and responsibility are not the same thing. Like we're not talking about like fault. We're talking about it's my responsibility as, as a Christian and as just a person, as a citizen of humanity to try to make it better. And I've always kind of, I've never said it, Cause I've never, it was never clear in my mind that like, Oh, I don't think there's a systematic problem. I just couldn't think on that level. But now the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, no man, like these systems were built that way. And how do we bring, how do we rectify that? Like, how do we fix it? I think it is bigger. I want to think it's big enough. I can just handle it with my neighbors, but I'm starting to think it's not. Um, and I was listening to, I had a friend, uh, one of the guys on our um, epicenter gave a bunch of resources that was like, Maybe I'm remembering this with a conflating with another text, but it was like, if you're a white person and your heart's broken and you want to know what to do, these are some resources that the black community is, is recommending. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Jeremiah? Okay. So I was like, that's exactly what I want because all of my neighbors already know I'm here for them, but what, what more can I do? And yeah. one of them was a podcast called whiteness, which I just started. And they were talking about um, when like Trump was almost elected he was on a show and they asked, it was DL Hughley was on a show, um, black comedian. They asked him about it and he said, well, that's not surprising to me. Um, and he, without thinking really quickly, he just said, Obama is aspirational. That's the America we want to be, but Trump's the America we are. Mm-hmm. And so mm. since we had Obama for eight years, regardless of what you think about his politics, like that was, and I don't know if other people can relate to it the way Jeremiah and a lot of other people can probably, but some people my perspective on that was regardless of his politics, like the day Obama won the presidency was a amazing day because I lived in a mostly mm-hmm. black neighborhood mm-hmm. and it represented a kind of hope, a real hope. Like, no, really anyone can be anything. Um, it was so, it was one of the best days of my life probably because people were just rejoicing in the streets and we got to be a part of that. Uh, I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, how do I do my part? Because people so quickly are like, well, you better support the police. Like just today, we were texting with a friend, and they immediately were like, "Well, you know, we cops have to enforce the laws." Like, no one's—that's not what I'm talking. Like, that's—they're <laughs> jumping like seven. Like, is it too much to, that, to ask that they, people are like, "Oh, this is about rule of law." Well, let's apply the same rule of law to the cops because there's a right. whole segment of our culture that doesn't feel like it is. Right. You know, when they watch someone like Breonna Taylor die in our own city. And almost nobody talked. If, if that girl was a white girl shot in the suburbs in her bed while she was sleeping, it would not have taken two months to get people losing their job. Mm-hmm. Like there's just, I, I mean, people can say I'm wrong, but like. It's almost like, like that's what the whole thing is about. If you really think about it. I mean, it's just like we want accountability. That's it. Like, let's apply it. Like uh, people who are like, oh, you approve of the rioters. It's like, that's not even what I'm <laughs> like. No, I want cops to do their job. I just don't want them to keep their knee on someone's neck like five minutes after they tell you, you can't and two minutes after they're dead. Like, yeah, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's like Minneapolis is was a place that it it was going to happen. Like there's been like like I love that place. 
I it's an amazing place to live and it but it's like how it's hard for me to say that <laughs> you know like yeah like it and and like the cop thing has been a problem like for because I remember the first time I really recognized it I was actually uh well, I was like probably in my real early 20s and I was talking to a cop uh at my work and there was a cop who came in like pretty frequently and uh he was he was black and he was like super cool and but he was always complaining to us like like you know like he was basically vocalizing like how he was you know he wanted to be he wanted to be above the reputation of Minneapolis cops and and it was and it was really I because I was like I didn't I don't know like I got a ticket when I was like 17 that's it. I've probably been pulled over 20 times since then and I've never gotten mm. and nothing bad's ever happened. So it's like, what do I know? You know what I mean? Like about this stuff. And t- until I until I rearrange, you know, my convictions and actually try to understand people's point of view. And that cop was really like you know, he was just putting it all out there like, dude, people hate Minneapolis cops because we just do there's a lot of corruption. We do a lot of bad stuff, you know? And I was like, yeah, it was, I mean, this is probably 2010 or 2011 that this was happening. So I was like, this is a long time ago, but it's like, that was the first time I realized like, Oh, like there's a problem here in this idyllic Northern, (laughs) completely isolated (laughs) place that no one even knows about. Man, Um, that gives me though so much empathy for people who still don't accept that it's there because like I grew up in a super safe environment in which we can point to the laws and say, no, the law says everyone's equal. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. And we don't see it, <laughs> you know, if, if you're not that person. And so honestly, it took me probably years of, of hearing people say that it exists before I actually believed them um, for whatever reason, just because, well, partly I was young and didn't really think through it. Um, but I was just like, well, I haven't experienced it and you can't show me a law that's unfair. So, I mean, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't quite that stubborn about it, but it was like, that's where my process went. It was like, oh, okay. And just like, yeah, that probably, that person is probably just wanting attention or wanting to imagine that something's there that it's not because I don't have any blatantly racist friends. I mean, I recognize that we all have some levels that we're kind of working through or dealing with or some subconscious biases, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But um, I had never seen anything blatant. Um, so why would I think that it's real? And so I have a lot of empathy for most of the people who are still unconvinced because that does tend to be the more conservative crowd. And that's the culture I was brought up in. And so I understand why that conclusion, you know, is there. Yeah. I, but now data in, is in, data is starting to come out and help at least, you know. Yeah. Or video and our social world. media and all that is really helping. Like, okay, uh, what are you gonna do about that video? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a lot harder now to deny than like when we were growing up. There wasn't video cameras in everybody's hands. You know? So well yeah the um the uh we were talking last night about someone in our life and I was just like talking to my wife and I was like, that person could not understand anything we were saying. 
And I was like, well, the world they live in, there's nowhere for them to see it. Like if they're only, the only way they're seeing it on the news is through Fox and Fox has a lens for sure. Uh, as does CNN, I'm not going to argue like, but that's the only window they're seeing any of this and it's all framed for them. There's no other in their, in their world in the place they live in the place they work in the place they play the neighborhood. There's no, they're not crossing any. So it's such a foreign idea to them. It's always rang true. Like, Oh, I have my rights. I have the law. These things apply to me. Um, you know, but it, just the thought of like the other day of like, how am I going to engage this? Like, I, I didn't really think like, am I going to engage this? Cause I felt immediately like pretty, pretty heavy about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I was like, how am I going to jump into this? Like I was considering it and it was like, Oh, that's a picture of my privilege that I could think about how mm-hmm. I would enter the conversation or how I would engage it like strategically. Whereas like, there's so many people who just see that in the news. And then it's just like, they, they it's just, they're enraged. Like they're in it. They have to deal with it. Like they can't run away from it. Yeah. I mean, the, do you guys, do you guys hear the Chris Rock quote about uh, bad cops? No. Mm-mm. He said, uh, I know it's hard being a cop, but some jobs just can't have bad apples. Everybody got to be good. Like pilots. American Airlines can't be like most of our pilots like to land. We just got some bad apples that like to crash in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I certainly like that. I do think it, it's missing a little bit of the, you know, there could be like arrogant, terrible pilots, right? Who are bad <laughs> people. And, you know, but it's like that the difference with a pilot is that it's likely that their prejudices and, you know, whatever problems they might have is not going to cause them to crash the plane or, or, or affect the way they fly. Right. Right. And that the, the, I mean, it's just like, I don't know how, how much I want to dive in on some of this stuff, but it's like, yeah, like the problem we have is this is, that's not the case for the police. Like they're bringing all this baggage and stuff. And fundamentally, like from my perspective, the only thing we can do is structurally change how we train police officers and, and how we, vet them and how you know and what it looks like to actually the process to actually become a police officer you know like anecdotally i know people i went to school with who are police officers and uh i do not want to encounter them in the real world because they were awful in school and so i am assuming they make awful police officers that's just you know (laughs) like but like I re- I recognize that's like being super unfair and and whatever. But it's like that's my experience, like real life experience, just with like I've known people that you know I know what they were like growing up, and then pretty much right away went into the police academy, and it's like where did where where would they have the opportunity to get to gain perspective and become better people? Right. I hope that they are doing that. I hope that that's not true. I hope I'm just making an assumption, and I'm wrong. I don't think yeah. that I am. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know some wonderful people who are cops, but I also know some people who went to be cops. It's like, oh, they get off on the power. Like we course, literally was, had an. That's what I'm getting to. And it's like, well, those guys just, there should be some kind of psychological testing where like, they just get, sorry, you can't have this job. Like you're, you know, you just, you can't have it. Like it's, you're not. Aaron, that's for it. un-American. You hear me? Oh, You're starting man. to sound like a German or something, you know what I mean, or a, or a Scandinavian type person. 
Well, I look like one, I guess. Yeah. Is that a racist thing you're saying? I don't know. I'm as I'm as Scandinavian as it gets. Other than I do know one thing: Germany is not the example. Well, I more meant like modern (laughs) modern Germany. If you look into like their policing, like like how I mean, but part of that is their history, right? Right. Exactly. They can't ignore their history, and I feel like America does. Like we try to push it down as much as possible as Americans. Like the like atrocities. Right. And here are this is more of it. And we're and it's so disheartening to see people trying to do the same thing and say this is not a problem and this is just how we do things and like that is heartbreaking, like truly. One of the narratives and rhetorics maybe that would help us is to stop saying we're the best. Um Okay, you gotta not, get out not, of here. We this is America. Okay, we're not, the best. Not <laughs> we're the best not dude. because I disagree with what that sentiment is trying to say. So you're saying you do agree? We are the best, <laughs> right? But for the sake of the argument, <laughs> but <laughs> it does take us to places. So okay, every country. By the way, this was good for me when I saw the Olympics or the World Cup, and like seeing the pride that everyone else has for their country. Like, okay, nationalism can be good, right? This is like some level of like, this is our team. And at a certain level, it's, it's fun and healthy and it, it's an identity and I get all of that. Because um, I, I, at the time, I probably had a very like patriotism is, and that's more what I meant than nationalism. Patriotism is like only a negative thing, et cetera. And so then I saw the World Cup and like, okay, I I need to like have a little bit more balance. And so I I think some level of patriotism is okay. But when we when we use this narrative, we are the best. I think what we forget is that we're not the best at everything. Um, And so maybe on some level, as as a citizen, you just have this conviction that you're the best. I get that and I I see how that can be healthy and good and can really create a strong society and culture. Um, But I've seen it go to the places where like, oh, since we're the best, we can do no wrong. Since we're the best, we have no errors. Um, Or we will, for the sake of conversation, admit to some petty error, but not recognize that we could potentially have deep systemic issues that are 200 years rooted into our culture. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's hard to... I, I, I can understand. Like, the best thing doesn't resonate with me because just crunching numbers on so many fronts, like America isn't leading on almost right. every measurable front. But I can't... <clears throat> I can't understand because I feel it, um, a love for my home. Like, I can understand mm-hmm. that. Like, right. loving the place you're from. Like, I have an unreasonable amount of love for Virginia, uh, that I can't, like, I think it's a beautiful state and I think the, it's got the mountains and the beaches. I can argue for it, but I know that I'm like, I'm so super jaded. So I understand that. Um, <clears throat> I get, I get it from that angle. That that's more, makes more sense to me than the best thing, but right. It's my fit. Well, my yeah. I mean, that I, I think that's semantics though. Right. I mean, I think it, it like, is, but it, I needed to say that, but, to the, get my but those semantics, those semantics lead us to places where, where we get caught up in this narrative that we're the best, that, that America is the best, and we start to apply that downward. So we do deductive reasoning, um, which is something that our culture is really bad at in general. Um, 
all right, off that soapbox. But when you do these deductive reasonings that get us to like false understandings of what that means that America is the best. Okay, you think that, and it's your favorite. That's awesome. But don't dismiss that other people could teach us something and that we can grow in quite a few areas. Sure. No, of course. Sure. Yeah. Call, say it's your favorite. That's different than, <laughs> I mean, this is the argument we've had in the van a thousand times, right? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like just what, what say would you it's guys your favorite. Do, what would you guys do if I walked into rehearsal and I said with a straight face, America's the greatest country on the earth? <laughs> What would you guys say? I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand what you were getting at, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the first thing you say walking in, guys, I would think you're going to... America's the greatest country on the planet Earth. I would think you would end that sentence with something like 89 cents a gallon and a dollar a slice. Like, like you would have just come from the gas station with like a good haul, and it like made you all of a sudden overwhelmed with like love for the Am place I known for at. my gas station hauls? <laughs> I mean, you are, a, you are a frequenter. You are a you know, am I crazy a, uh, though that my like appreciation for my country is growing as opposed to decreasing? Yeah, well, that, how are that you guys on that me, scale? Because mine's opposite. Okay, mine's growing currently. What yours is shrinking? What about you, Nate? It sounds like, I mean, uh, that's that's uh, complicated for to sure. Answer, yeah, because I I could see a situation where that would where I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. If if what you're getting at is that your understanding of how patriotism should actually be enacted mm-hmm. and how it should like how how would that actually reflect to other people? I would I would say that I'm getting better at understanding that and mm-hmm. therefore I'm more comfortable with it. I think like as a younger like in my in my mid 20s probably I would have had nothing good to say For about sure. America, Same. right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that was just my part of that is like being on tour all the time and seeing, you know, like it's weird because now I look back at that and say like, oh, I saw the whole country and there's so much to be proud of. But also there's so much learning you do in that, in that you know, you learn like perspective from traveling mm-hmm. And the initial reaction to that is there's so much to fix and there's so much wrong and there's so much like it that like being on tour, like basically from 18 to I don't know how old until I got married, 25, um, that period of, of my life just completely dismantled my upbringing in a way that I'm extremely grateful for. Right. Erased so many problematic views and like um that was my period of of like reconstruction of like of my faith for sure like you know basically 2006 to 2000 you know 10 maybe um and so it was kind of (laughs) surprising like i was that's a long time ago i know for you guys that's a totally different situation but like that that period I, of time was like, but that was it was very hard for me to then understand what patriotism would mean. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And now I have a much better understanding of it. And I think I would agree with Jeremiah that I feel more patriotism when I see something to be proud of. I can be proud of it and say right. like, "This is good." Um, but it also means I'm just as critical of the bad things, you know? Right. Like, but I, I, yeah, I, I would I never think- say it's the greatest country that's just a, 
asinine thing to say. Yeah, I think I think for me it I wouldn't say it's shrinking, Jeremiah. It already shrank. Like, and it's just like it. Like I was raised in such a patriotic church. Like they they just went guns a blazing on Memorial Day, July Fourth, like everything. Like it was so connected to my family was built around faith and because of my church, not really because of my parents, but because of the senior pastor, like patriotism and flag waving was such a big deal. And then, yeah, being able to start touring. I mean, that, that was the big change agent. You're right, Nate, like seeing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the parts of the world and perspectives and getting out of the country and reading more things and hearing more perspectives, like, uh, helped me to, I, I feel like get a, a, I don't know. I, I like, I'd like to think I'm sure it'll be more wise in 10 years than I was 10 years ago, but I have a realistic, like it, it's a, there's a lot of great things about our country and there's a lot of broken things about it. And um, I, I think for me, the bigger thing, maybe you're talking about Jeremiah is for a long time, any like patriotism or, or like love of nation just felt like, a dangerous thing to engage. Like it's just so quickly turns into tribalism. Right. right. And I'm still not sure the juice is ever worth the squeeze beyond saying, I love the place I grew up. Like that's just, to me, that's very, or like my hometown is special to me. Like that's so different than talking about best. And that thought left my mind so long ago. Um, so I don't know if it's gr- It sounds like some things are happening that are making you like, grow in your affection for the country but i don't think i i I guess i separate like the system from like the land and the peoples like they're not always the same thing because so many of the peoples in the land don't want anything to do with the systems or don't like them Mm -hmm. the people in some ways are worse than the system right i mean like the system standalone if you're talking about just the structure is like oh that actually could work but then people are still going to do what they're going to do Right. So obviously people the, are what make it great and people are also what make it terrible. Yes, um, that's true. You know what I mean? And so um, I think what I'm saying is that, yeah, I think we all grew up some somewhat in, in kind of that young punk rock thing, which is like, yeah, patriotism has nothing good to offer. And I, it's funny is I still, I still would be like, oh yeah, I don't want to say I'm patriotic. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that I, I see a lot to be proud of. And I look at that killer Mike speech and I'm like, he's recognizing like, nobody's saying just because I'm proud of this, that we we were doing something amazing. We're certainly better than we were. I, mm-hmm. I do think that. And I, I, I do always want to keep that in mind is like, this is not us getting worse. This is us recognizing what's been there all along. And every time we're taking a step forward, and I'm sure there's steps back, but there's more steps forward than steps back. Um, more people are becoming more loving and kind. More people are becoming aware of the the issues, and more people are coming up with ideas for how to move on past that. Um, but hopefully, dude, like, but like our parents' generation, I don't know if your parents experienced this, but our parents' generation like use different bathrooms than black people. Yeah. Like this is yeah. not this is new, this is yeah. fresh. Well, my my dad grew up in inner city DC in a in a predominantly you know, very very mixed very integrated area. But he would go home and visit his family from the tobacco fields in North Carolina, where they just used the N word like there was nothing wrong with it. Like that's just right. how you talk. 
you know, the, and those people quotes, like we love them, but they're not the same, you know, those mm-hmm. attitudes. So I, I think that's true. Um, but at the same time, like how many people have to be filmed getting killed before people start caring? Like, that's one of the other things I was reading this week is like, this is a couple of guys who work for uh, a news outlet were asked to write a story. And he's like, I wrote the story during Ferguson five years ago and I read it and there's nothing I can change other than the names of the people and the names of the places. It's the exact same thing. Laws haven't significantly changed. The issue hasn't significantly changed. Now, granted, that's their perspective, but I mean, the way it keeps happening every, every once in a while. And then the riots happen again. It's like, yeah, it's not, yeah, you're right. We don't have Jim Crow laws anymore, yeah. but like mm-hmm. the system is still broken in some ways. Like it's still happening. And uh, Will Smith I, said, I guess something like, uh, "Nothing's changed. People are just filming it now. Uh, this stuff was always happening." Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I mean, that's that's certainly the case. But to to sort of expand upon what you're saying, I agree with that. But also, um, a friend of mine posted uh he's a photographer in minneapolis and throughout the country and whatever but he posted actually a really interesting um photo or 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 two photos and it was basically like hey this is a picture i took of the black lives matter protest in 2014 and then this is a picture i took or i don't don't know if he took it or if it was a picture you know that that he got wherever but it was just like just seeing the amount like we're talking about 60 people in the first photo mm-hmm. on the highway, like marching on the highway. And then we're talking about 6,000 people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's good. It's just, you know, that that's so encouraging to see like, like that is patriotism, I think. Right. Like that's yeah. how I would view it, you know, and, and to be able to process it as like, well, it feels like we're screaming into the void sometimes, but, and and yeah, maybe this isn't the final frontier, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really likely that it's not, but it's we have to just keep moving forward. The most unfortunate thing to me is how much of our country is ashamed of people doing some of the most American things out there, um, like kneeling, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, like the the protesting these are like at the core super american things and that's where i'm like oh yeah that's a great thing about america that we protest that we push against what we know is wrong and that we have the ability to do that and that most people want to do that right like that that's some of the things we're founded on and that's something i can get super behind and now i'm seeing like wait a second, why are all these people who are touting America being the greatest not wanting to see um, some of our greatest freedoms being used? It's because they disagree with it, but that doesn't matter. Like that, These are the same people that said, I would die for a Muslim to get to go to church because I believe in like religious freedom. But we're saying that because it'll get people hyped up in church, right? It'll, it's going to, it's in reality, well, I think what we're seeing is those people don't want any views that aren't theirs propagated or given a voice. And that's the most frustrating thing, but I think that's becoming the minority. Um, it's just hard to stay on that page, really. There's there's not a lot of grounding for well, it. Part of it is like, 
and, and, and there's so much to this, but like I see when people post stuff and I'm, and I try to, you know, understand, like, obviously I'm angry when I see ignorant things getting posted. Right. Yeah. But I try to understand that like in, in a lot of these people's world and, or point of view, they don't want anything to change because things are in general in their favor. Like life is good. Right. right? Like, like they view it as like, it's, Hey, it's working I don't, for them. I don't go around breaking the laws and getting in trouble and like getting beat up. Like life is, you know, like, and they don't, they're not seeing that like as like privilege because mm-hmm. it's you, if you don't have the context, I, I understand that it's, it's hard to process some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, like how hard is it to not break the law? You see that kind of thing right. posted all the time. You know what I mean? And it's like that, this is the point we're trying to make. Right. It's it like these people aren't like always breaking the law. Like I've seen so many gut wrenching, heartbreaking videos in the last, you know, 36 hours of people just getting protesting peacefully and being beaten and arrested. And it's like, you just feel so hopeless, you know? And you're just like, man, like this, this is insane that this is happening. And, and everybody like knows that they're being filmed. And, and it's like, hopefully someone can see that and understand, oh, maybe I'm wrong that it's not as simple as don't break the law, Mm -hmm. you know, because that like, that is such a cop out to the reality of the situation and it's mm-hmm. so much more complex than don't don't break the law and don't like don't disrespect the police and you won't get beat up or whatever you can just be on your porch and get shot at you know what i mean mm-hmm. for doing nothing it's just like yeah like now i hope that people will actually be able to absorb that and understand like this is what we're actually talking about mm-hmm you yeah, know the that, question is that how many right. how many videos does it take to override your experience because like you said if their experience has been, I follow the law and nothing bad happens to me, do they have to watch 20 or 30 or 40 videos before they go, oh, maybe my experience isn't totally like a video doesn't sit on you as heavily? Yeah. I know. Right I, away and I like, don't know because, like, my time, the videos don't change my mind. They reinforce my perspective. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, I don't, you, you it's my not even that possible. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I think don't. Yeah, it videos, is. videos are tough because they, are circumstantial you don't get the whole story necessarily and it's easy to write them off as one bad cop right i mean first of all you can't always know who's going to do that right so police it needs to be better but i can't expect that they're going to know ahead of time this guy's going to do something stupid um but hopefully we're going to do better at that um data can even be tough because some data will show that there's an issue and some data will show there's not an issue, uh, depending on how you want to read it, et cetera. So it's, it's more complex than just here's the evidence because it just doesn't, it doesn't work. A video is just like saying, well, I know a guy who had this happen. Like, okay, well, right. yeah, I don't get, I don't, I don't doubt that that does happen, but that doesn't mean that systematic stuff is going on. But relating to what you said, Nate, as far as like systematic goes, one of the big turning points for me was I was talking to somebody, a younger person who was um, kind of more from that conservative background and didn't believe that there was systematic racism. And um, we were chatting and he was like, 
well, look, it was similar to what you were saying. It was like that stop breaking the law, right? So he's mm-hmm. like, look, I don't know why, but they were always the ones acting up the most in school. And he he wasn't meaning that in a, he was just saying like, that. this is reality as I saw it is that as they collectively got together, they would get, they they would cause more trouble than white kids across the board. And honestly, I don't doubt that that's true. Um, but I, it just came to me so quick and it stuck with me ever since I said, is it because they were black? And the reason that he, like, obviously the answer is no, <laughs> they're not acting up because of the color of their skin. Right. And that to me is like the core of see, there's something systematic there's something deeper that is going on. That's causing this. It's not the color of their skin, but you're connecting it to that and saying what the black people act up more. That's insane. Right. Yeah. I mean, the deck is stacked. Right. Yeah. A person of color, even if they have like an amazing life, like, right. Like how good your life is and how lucky you get. And like all that stuff is not, is, is like, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Other than the fact that I could have the identical life to, to a person of color and they will experience way different like trials and tribulations than I ever did. Right. Like that, I mean that, and like I said, I, I don't know, like if someone just doesn't agree with that, well, there's tons of people who would say that's, you know, that's not true. Well, and I don't know how to, to, I don't know what to tell them. Well, like, saying that the constitution and the bill of rights and a democracy means that we all have equal right. First of all, most people that I've ever heard who like use the whole bootstraps, they should pull themselves up from the bootstraps. Most of those people that I've ever heard didn't have to do that. And second of all, like, what do you, like, uh, who said it? Like, what do you do when you don't even have boots? Like we, like, yes, Mm -hmm. maybe technically if we were all starting at zero, like uh, our bill of rights and a constitution and the fact that we live in a democracy means that we all have an equal shot. But when you have a group of a whole massive group of people who were enslaved for centuries, taken out of their healthy cultures and then enslaved and, and taught like punished if they didn't act subservient punished if they, really expressed anything else other than what they were being, you know, you know, beaten to do, then they're released out of that, but they're still kept under the thumb, you know, by all the laws and all the segregation. And then just like in the last 50 years, we, we sort of make the laws equal. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like saying you've got one guy who's training for the Olympics for four years and you've got another guy who's like allowed to train for one month and you expect him to do as well. Like it's, that like there has to be something done because it's mm-hmm. not a level playing field. Like it's so stacked the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, mm. lot to lot to talk about here. <laughs> I'm angry, man. I if Thomas yeah. matters to that, I'm I'm mad. <laughs> I'm mad and I'm sad. I'm yeah. both. Gosh, it's been so heavy. And then and then two nights ago, the dude was shot. Like. Just a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. Just a guy who likes to cook barbecue. Wasn't doing anything. Like, well, and there, then you have the issue of like the the media and what story are you getting? How much of the story are you getting? Um, what details are being included versus left out? And you know, there's a lot of times where we get all hyped up about something and then come to find out later, like. Oh, well, actually, everything about that scenario happened as it probably would in any normal circumstance. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something out of the ordinary or whatever. Um, 
And so like, yeah, it's just, it's just super messy, man. It's really messy. Yeah. Well, that's a bigger issue of being able to trust like the, the lenses that you're being shown the world through right. the news is like, I, I don't, I wish I had a fix for that, man. It's right. Just, I mean, I'm just saying like your, your story that you heard about this one is like, this is just a guy who cooks barbecue and didn't ever do anything wrong. And like, well, that's one narrative. And well, the I other narrative never is that there's anything wrong. I'm saying he wasn't one of the ones. He just said he likes shooting barbecue. Cops. <laughs> he didn't, okay, he okay. really said nothing I, else about him. I, I, well, I get that, Aaron, but like, if, if there's, if it's dark and tons of people are crowded around and see people start shooting, are the cops, are the cops purposely aiming at the guy who's bystanding, not doing anything, or are they trying to shoot the people shooting? I mean, come on, like, that, they're not trying to shoot the innocent guy. It's, that wasn't, this I is just know, a product I, I of like say, a really I, bad I scenario. I think we've seen a lot of, the opposite of what you're saying. I, I've wait, seen wait, hold on, hold on. No, 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 like, hold There's on. a lot of incompetence not going seeing, on. No, no, I'm saying the report is shots were fired. You're saying that they took that opportunity to shoot somebody who wasn't firing. We've not seen oh, examples I, of that. What are I, you talking I, about? No, that that's not precisely what I said. What I'm saying is I've seen plenty of examples of lack of 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 yeah, no instigation, and then just fire. Right, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying in this instance, what we're talking about is that the story is that there was shots. Well, what I'm what I'm not arguing. Like, is so that's it's, so I'm saying like we like I get what you're saying. It's sad that that happened, but like that's just a t- it's a messy situation. It's not that clean. I don't think it's clean. That's not my argument. My argument is that like the the lack of judiciousness that I've seen and mm-hmm. and and the lack of of uh, of empathy in some situations and other just for sure it's ridiculous. downright it's downright sickening. like uh people getting off on it like right. i i have no confidence that there was any judiciousness being shown so right. like so yes i understand if the situation was he was standing next to the guy who shot at the cops and he got killed mm-hmm. whose fault is that that's you know well you can go to the it guy sucks. who shot the first gun i don't know can, uh, yeah or you can go to the fact that the lmpd was sent to to a uh a group of people that were shouldn't have been it was ridiculous like there was a lot of there. there was a lot of crap going on and they're constantly sure. meeting non-force with force and mm-hmm. that's just where it's just like well this like when you've got black unarmed black men running away getting shot to death like mm-hmm. it's like that, it, that no so i'm not saying like they, that i think a cop took it took this opportunity to execute a black man uh but i am saying that something like very very sad and very wrong happened for sure I mean, it just consistently is proving that whatever system is in place to like equip and train these people is completely inadequate because you know what I mean? And that Mm -hmm. I, I haven't heard a single argument against like that, that has been compelling against that. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, Hey, whatever you think, you know, you could think the dumbest, whatever, ridiculous thing that you think. But it's like, if you are looking at all this information that's coming through and saying to yourself, obviously, these guys are the best trained dudes around because they always get their guy or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, like, either they're complete idiots and they are terrible at their job. Or honestly, yeah, they're power hungry they you know we've seen so many images of like absolutely euphoric cops ready to beat people right like and Mm -hmm. that's like i mean how do you defend that here's a cop and he's he's got a riot shield and he is ear to ear grinning 
Like this is a Call of Duty game. Dude, we talked about this at, at church on Sunday. Like the issue is when you're dealing with someone because if you're dealing with a cop who believes that he's going to be held to the law in the same way that you, that you will be, that he will be the same way you will be. They, that's how you get a good cop. They're like, mm -hmm. I'm going to be held accountable the same way this person is just because I'm wearing a badge today, whatever I do. But these cops that don't see it that way, I've dealt with people like this in my real life before where oh, yeah. when, when you, when you give them, uh, when you give them defiance, not even necessarily aggression, when you just defy them, they take that as a violent act of aggression and they meet it with force. I've been in meetings before where I'm like, this person by the nature of their job doesn't have violence like in their toolbox. Like it's not, it's not a part of their everyday job, but I can tell by the way they're reacting to me and by the fact that I won't, I won't bow to their will that if it was, they would have grabbed it. But with a cop, it's in their tool bag. And if they don't think they're going to be held to the same, mm. uh, to the same standard as the people they're policing, then it leads exactly like you can just by, just by saying no, like then it's like, okay, I mean, a $20, a, a, a drunk man who used a fake $20 bill for sure. I think someone who's using fake money ought to have to face the consequences. I don't want to live in a society where people are conned. And, and obviously when someone fights back, that becomes difficult, but then you watch the video, people are like, well, you know, he had to police. I mean, anyone who's tried to put a cat in a cat carrier knows that things get crazy sometimes when you're dealing with someone drunk or unruly or whatever. But when you see someone who's just got their knee on their neck, for eight minutes, mm -hmm. and two minutes after, and people are yelling, and that guy's eyes are just like, you can just see it. There's no respect for the person underneath him. It's not for the sure. same as him. And he's, he's above, he's, he is the law. You know, he's not right. above the law. He is the law. That quote, uh, I mean, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's like, it, I was reading a thread about how Trump reversed, um, like after Ferguson, Obama implemented the sort of limitations on military surplus that goes to the police force, right? And when Trump was elected, he used a uh, oh, what's the term? Uh, an order. What's the what's the term? I'm executive order. Yeah, exactly. Um, he wrote an executive order that reversed. So basically, as much military surplus can go to any police force, whatever, and um, Someone posted, and I think it's a quote, and I could look it up, or our, our assistant, whatever their assistant's name, could look it Leon. up. Leon could look it up. Uh, but it's basically the gist of it is when when you are given the tool, the military tools, then the police force becomes a hammer, and when you're in a hammer, every problem becomes a nail, mm -hmm. right? And so we just have this like, and and this this attitude is being like ingrained into not just like the physical like gear, but like just the actual attitudes of, you know, the police force. Mm -hmm. And and there, I'm sure there's some people who are just, who like are pushing back against it. I, I like, we all know and have dealt with cops who are great people. Like mm -hmm. for sure. Like that, that's not really up for debate. Um, but it's just disappointing because I wish we were hearing more from them. And we have, we have like, there's, there we was are, the guy. Yeah, we've seen some great things in the news today. Yeah. And that stuff is like really uplifting. And I want, I want to hear more of that. Cause it's like, I don't think the narrative that, that every cop in the world is bad or in the country is, is bad. Um, but it, yeah, like in order for, for that narrative to go away, like the other cops have to stand up and, um, 
I love the shots of like, uh, I've seen two videos of one of a cop chewing another one out for, for being, and another one mm-hmm. of a cop who turned and arrested his fellow cop, which is yeah. like super yeah, powerful. That's what you know, we need you to be a human first. That's like the point right. of the protest. Like, right. that's the point yeah. that we're trying to get if, across. It, yeah. I mean, it's just be a human first, whatever your job is, mm-hmm. you know, like, should we switch gears? Cause yeah. Yeah. Um, um, well, um, uh, we got a few minutes. This one's an easy one. We got a good top five this week. I disagree. I like it. It's easy. Violently. It's great. It's how I like. I like dreaming about it. Oh my! God. I, I saw to, this and I was like, man, we got some killer content coming up. You that's guys. right, baby. Hey, the, all the top fives are killer content. This one comes oh from Timothy, and uh, as part of our disc epicenter Discord server. Um, top five candy bars. No, no, no. It didn't come from Timothy. That's not where it started. Oh, oh, that wasn't. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay, hold on. Give the proper credit. Give the man proper, his credit. He was giving it. That was that was Dan Sheffle. Sorry, Dan. Dan, I am Dan so ashamed Sheffle. of you. Uncle, Uncle beat down Dan Sheffle with the softball question. That's right. No, man, I bet no, you're right. Timothy was debate. responding with his top five. Da- Dapper Dan's top five candy bars. Top five music, please, Nate. Uh. <laughs> Uh, Snickers, Butterfinger, Payday, Milky Way, and Hershey's with almonds. Those are all right. I've got some crossover there, Dan. And Dan's a snacker, so he knows what's up. I I respect his opinion here, but mine are better. Mine are better. Let's hear mine. I've got Snickers, Zero, Twix, Mounds, Hundred Grand. Done. Mm. Mounds and a Hundred Grand, dude. Have you had a Hundred Grand before? I forget about it. Yeah, I've had it. So good. It's like, I mean, there's not many candy bars I hate, so I don't, I, I'm not going to go that hard, but it just, it seems like one of those ones that like is always left in the Halloween b- bucket. No, no, like, no, no, no. You haven't had one recently then. It does. It shouldn't. It's one that I've, well, like, okay, Crunch needs to end up there. This is, a hundred grand is what Crunch wants to be. Uh, is there a full-size Crunch bar? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's I, a good I, question. I feel like I've only seen used to one. Be. There I, used to, I don't know yeah. if there are. Well, what do you guys think? What's yours? I don't care. Holy cow. <laughs> it's candy I'll, bars. A zero. That's the only one I bought in the past 10 years. <laughs> you do eat zeros. Yeah. Yeah. yeah got to name it. four more candies. I mean, oh, we'll my let you gosh. Are you kidding? You don't like, have five candy bars? No, I just could not was this care hard? less about It's not hard. I just don't care. <laughs> like... <laughs> Pick pick four other ones. Uh, honestly, the the if I'm gonna eat something sweet like that, I'd go to like uh the grocery store, you know, like a oh and get the like really Publix good or Aldi or whatever. Get get like some kind of confectionery snack. I don't buy like seriously like other than on tour, which I've maybe bought five zero bars in the past four years of touring. So yeah, that's the only candy. Like I don't eat. Well, Halloween I mean, candy of anymore. these, of these, right? I've only bought Snickers in the last five years, probably. Like the other ones is just like, oh, like there's the Halloween candy jar and they've got Twix. Sick. That's going to be my first grab. Um, Mounds. Those are super cool. My mother-in-law has them in the little candy jar at home a lot. I don't like think anyone has ever said about Mounds. Those are super cool. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have some coconut? All right, I'm, done with, I'm done with Nate's takes. What do you okay. think, Aaron? What's yours? <laughs> Oh, I I didn't I didn't. Yeah, hold let's on. get a real big debate going. 
I, I literally I thought we were just going to hear about 15 different candy bars. Get stoked on candy move bars. Move on. Move on. But no, Nate has to cause problems. Yeah, Nate's got to like be. Oh, we, have, the world has bigger problems than what our favorite candy bars are. Oh, he's going to pull that card now. Okay. It'd be nice if Don't you have any fun, bit. Nate. Um, I, I, don't I, enjoy I anything, Aaron. I'm going to limit myself to five, even though I don't really want to. So, And, I, and I'm going to go in a reverse order. No, do more to make up for Nate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My two honorable mentions are uh, Reese's Pieces and peanut butter M and M's. I know mm. those aren't strictly yeah. bars, but I don't. I don't. It's the same section. Get over it, Dan. Um, but my my top five would be number five Reese's cups, the big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four would be peppermint patties, dude. I mean, oh York. Oh yeah, man. Ooh. Those are so refreshing. Mm. Yeah, uh, I probably should have put that on there just for that mix-up. You can almost eat a candy bar, eat a peppermint patty, and eat a different candy bar. Wait a second, like- dude. Th- this last Halloween, I got Yorks to put in Halloween, yeah. and dude, everybody in my house gave me so much crap about that. Dude, they're like, all Yorks, that's for like grandmothers. I'm like, what are you, dude, Yorks is like dude, the best. Peppermint patties are legit. Yeah. Uh, third would be a standard Snickers, and on any given moment, it's number one. Like, you know what I mean? Just like any given oh, moment, yeah. Snickers it's is like so the good. one. Number two would be peanut butter Snickers. I mean, mm. just come on. I don't know if I've tried it. Nate, have you not had it? They come, they're yellow. At the bags, it's yellow, and they come in little quarters. Well, I just said that I've only bought like <laughs> five candy bars in the past ten years. So you're sleeping. I think most of us, the candy bars we consume are not what we're buying. But where are you getting them from? <laughs> they're at every gas station has has them. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying. No, no, he just said. Like, if we're not okay. buying them, how if are we, we getting if them? If we're conceding that we don't buy candy bars, maybe maybe you guys do. I don't. It's not a part of my like. Some people buy like an energy drink and a candy bar when they mm-hmm. go to the gas station. I have, I just buy black coffee at the. Here's gas the station. thing: That's I go it. to ninety five percent of all gas stations with the two of you, and I buy ninety nine percent of all my candy bars at those gas stations. Right. So okay, it's it's always happening. And my number one is Fifth Avenue, which okay. is hard to find. They're hard. It's like a Butterfinger, but it doesn't stick to your teeth, and it's less caramel and more uh, chocolate, less nougaty. Well, I know. Sorry, I was gonna say on one of the tours, I bought uh, like a little uh, mini jug of eggnog. Does that count? Yeah, did you? <laughs> I like, get Twizzlers like a lot things. on tour. Do you guys I, I that? think that mini eggnog was one of the many things that you get excited about and ends up in the bottom of the van half finished. Like, no, I, think I drank that was, it all. I definitely I think, drank it all. I okay, don't but accuse I think, me of that. I think the carton was banging around in the bottom of the van for us. The tour. Oh, yeah, the carton for sure. Yeah. Because Nate is not the cleanest van like guest. He's not the cleanest van member. You're you're getting something else. You know, when I come on the tour, you're going to get some, some good perks. But there's generally a corner that becomes Nate's and it's just it just kind of builds up. You guys know the corner I like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron just gets a trash bag and calls it a book bag and puts all his stuff in that. Oh, my God. <laughs> The fattest well, backpack I know, on the block, dude. I know somebody who can solve this candy bar stuff for us. Broen Lollard. Oh, let's you guys do it. ready to chat with him. Yeah, Rowan is uh, formerly of the 400 unit Ooh. of Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. Love it. And is now in St. Paul and the Broken Bones, a really cool band. And uh, yeah, let's chat with him. Good. Yeah, no, my, my daughter is like turning three in uh, a month. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. So, yeah, yeah. And it's it's amazing. And actually, one of the best parts out of all of this pandemic stuff is being able to spend a lot of time with her but it's also one of the really like one of the hardest parts um because i mean 
uh, it's literally just me all, all day. And, and my daughter <laughs> and my wife gets home and like helps, helps for like an hour. And then I, we take uh, turns putting her down and tonight was my night. So we, we I just, apologize. That's okay. Oh, that's that's good. Good. You've got your priorities in order. We're about Dude. to, I'm about to have my first and I was talking to a oh, guy. Oh, congratulations. Who, thank you. Thank you. And um, we were we were talking to another guy this morning, and he's in the same position where now he's having to like be daddy daycare all day long. And he's like, "Yeah, my new big trick is like a four mile walk." <laughs> I just, I just. Oh, dude, <laughs> man. Hey, I'm like our 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 family walks keep getting longer. And longer. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, man. That's a well, I have happy. a I have a five year old and a like eleven month old, ten or eleven month old, somewhere in there. And dude, it's so wow. fun, isn't it? The, my my five year old is. is a boy, and dude, he's uh, not five dog. anymore, bro. Oh, he just turned six. My yeah, goodness, come on, like, man. Two days ago, dude, bad um, daddy. I got to get used to it, man. <laughs> um, and and then my daughter is the eleven month old, and dude, they're so it's just so fun. Every every age, I don't know if you've experienced this, but like I'm like every, every whatever age they are, I'm like this is the best age. Like, yeah, and then and then they get to the next one, it's like oh, this is even more fun. This is so cool. Right. And obviously there's some more headache that comes with it as they get older and get a little attitude, but it's just so fun, man. And the personality and all that. that attitude phase right now. <laughs> Dude, why is it the terrible twos? Because everybody experiences the terrible threes, man. Oh my God. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Sassy threes? Is that when they figure Dude, out they can have opinions? It's tough, man. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot. It's going to be tough. She can, uh, she, she learned how to say no. And then she realized what it did to us, you know, Oh, the power. But, yeah. She realizes she wields all this power over us now. So, uh, yeah, we're dealing with that stuff. And also right how do you, how do you, how do you deal with someone who's been on the earth for two and a half years? Right. Uh, I mean, well, I like, I read a lot of books. Me and my wife read a lot of toddler books and that's, mm-hmm. Pretty much. You got any recommendations? Um, oh crap! I have a toddler. Okay. <laughs> I think is what it's 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 called. It's it's actually really good and really funny. It's also written for adults. So, so it's it's weird. It's like you're reading a uh, a book about toddlers, but there's like curse words and stuff in it, which uh, makes okay. it a little bit more laid back and like yeah, kind of then you know yeah. And how we feel one. as parents of toddlers. Uh, yeah um i can't remember her name uh jamie somebody's okay okay we have a we have a friend and they have four kids and uh i think their third is like three or four and he's just like this all the other kids are like kind of like angels they're just really chill but this john is like he's just super strong-willed and so our friend jake was telling us that like he was, he's like, I don't know how to break him because he says no, and I'm not going to hit him. And then we're just at this standoff because he's one of the strongest people I've ever met. And that's a hard time to tell him, like, you know, almost nothing. And yeah. I know almost everything. But he said one time he saw his son and he said, <laughs> no, daddy, I don't listen to you. I listen to myself. And, wow. <laughs> and he said, he looked at him and said, John, a lot of people pay a lot of money to go to counseling to be able to say that. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to support that. I'd listen hey, to man, myself. Sometimes kids will drop some philosophy. Oh yeah. That like just comes out of nowhere, man. Um, you got any good I recent ones? It. I love it. <laughs> Cause it, it's like, it's, it's like you said, it's like people will pay big money for a book. For like to read that in a book, you'd be like <laughs> thinking about it for years and quoting it on Instagram and stuff. Uh, 
I don't listen to you. I listen to myself. Yeah. I need <laughs> I to be better amazing. at writing that stuff down when my son says great stuff. Like, I think I remember a lot of it, but, but I know I'm missing stuff. I need to write it down more. Well, like, and they keep you humble too, right? Cause we, we actually do yeah. play in a band together on the, on the other side of things. And his son, Atticus, who's like close to all of us. He came to like, was it his first concert a couple tours ago, Jeremiah? Mm-hmm. And, and our friend like videoed him at it. And he's like, He's like, you see him before the show. He's excited. And it's just, we're playing our first song and it's his son just falling asleep. <laughs> he just like, couldn't be less Don't interested. care. My daughter you know, came and saw us play and she was standing side stage with my wife. And I looked over at her. My daughter's name is Everett. And I looked over at her and uh, and like waved at her, you know. And she looked at me and, and went, I'm Everett. Like she, like I'd forgotten <laughs> who she was. That's interesting. <laughs> And it was You're the most like yeah, adorable, it's... hilarious, and heartbreaking. Super heartbreaking. Too. Uh, yeah. Oh my god! Of course, I know who you are. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, you know what's tough, and I don't know if you've come across this, but kids are so impressive with how much they know and how much they develop and how quickly. That like, I often think my son is like about twice his age, um, yeah. and and that's been the hard thing. Is like this kid's. You know, he's six now, but pretty much all of my interaction last year has been, he's five years old. Like I have to chill out. Like this is, you know, it's just hard to find the balance sometimes of like what I should expect from him and what I shouldn't. But, um, it is, would you have any, any advice for a parent of a almost three, three year old into it? I don't think I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I do. Like, bro, and bro, and here on Dadcast, we love to yeah. give great advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, Dadcast yeah, I would be a great, a great uh, idea for a vodka. I mean, it's probably already a vodka. Okay, but. so one thing, and I don't know how to teach this, and I'm not saying I know it, but I've heard. I, the only reason I say I don't know how to teach it is many people told me it would happen, and then now it's happening, and I just didn't know how to do it. But with my second, I just. Um, and bothered so much less by the things happening, uh, like her doing something that I wish she hadn't done or, um, her getting into something or her not always having like the coolest flyest clothes on or whatever it might be. Like you just (laughs) chill out. And it's just like, Oh yeah, those things don't matter as much as I thought. And you just kind of like, this is not any specific age, but like just I just enjoy every age. Like that's, you know, and try and, you know, for me, just that's been my big lesson at five. It was like remembering that he's five because he's, he's not, I am sure he's not any more smart than every other five-year-old, but it's just so impressive how smart a five-year-old can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a, same with three-year-old and, and same with, you know, a 10 month old who's doing things that I'm like, this is insane. You're like, well, I think also you're probably communicating more, more chill because you had a boy first and he almost always has a busted tooth or a bloody nose. Like he's, <laughs> he's always like your son is, he's like a bouncy ball. So I think that must like calm you down with number, number two. But. Yeah. But she's going to be tougher than he is, man. He's pretty soft and, and she's pretty tough. So it's going to be fun to see that dynamic for sure. Oh. Is your, is your daughter showing any, like any, uh, bent towards the arts yet? Like being, having uh, actually, she, actually she is. And, and my wife and I are careful about not trying to like push her in any, any certain direction. I mean, we, 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 we give her access to everything we can, mm-hmm. but we want her to go in her own direction. But the mm-hmm. cool thing is she, uh, she, she sort of gravitated towards that herself. Um, 
and I think it might be because she watches and I've been, I've been home so much lately. She watches me paint during the day when I've got her. And I think she wants to paint with me. Mm. Um, and so it's this, uh, it's kind of this fun activity that we can do together. She actually, we just ended, we finished our first painting together, which Whoa, is an abstract. That's awesome. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it's extremely abstract. Uh, but it, but it's cool. It's, 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 uh, I ended up calling it the long road home and, uh, you know, I travel a lot. So I'm, I guess roads are something that come to mind a lot, but it, you know, there's just like these, like all these different color splotches around that Everett took care of. And I kind of connected them all with this long windy road. Uh, what's funny is that Everett used my paint and I used her crayons Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's yeah. that, that's how I was able to kind of like level the playing field a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but it wound up being pretty cool, and it's like our first painting together. We we have a really good friend uh, who's done a lot of like a lot of records, a lot of covers, and a lot of really well known uh, tattoo work. Um, and his daughter actually just is graduating high school this month. But when we first met them years and years ago, I think he brought her to our, our like her first concert was she came to one of ours and she was like eight and yeah. she's just, and she drew up, she had drawn an interpretation of like her version of our album cover that was out at the time. And I actually like kept it and stuck it on a, behind a poster that I kept because he's so gifted. I knew, and now you can see her at 18, like unreal talented, you know, really? just like, just, yeah, just wow. that access so young mm-hmm. to all, and all those que- and like, you know, she, her and her dad love, they, I mean, I, I would love to have a relationship with my child. Like, like Davy and um, uh, and I'm blanking on her name. I just was thinking of it a second ago. Uh, <laughs> B, Beatrice. B, B, Davy and B. Beatrice. Yes. Beatrice. That's it. Yeah. Like thinking of. Uh, oh, you must know her. That's great. That makes it easier. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know Beatrice. Duh. That Come one. On, Beatrice, man. Come on. But it, it's like they've always they always play games. I mean, almost. I should ask him probably and forward you. Like they have a lot of games they play together and have the whole way. Like games that worked when they were like. When she was like eight games that worked when she was like 13 games that work now wow. where they, they play together and they draw together, they challenge each other and they finish each other's stuff. And uh, I guess a lot of it, like she discovered, it's like, dad, let's try this together. That's um, cool. That's really I'm cool. Super jealous. That's awesome that you started that already. I mean, it was just something like she, uh, she started like playing with my paint on a canvas I had laying on the floor and uh, we kind of naturally, you know, ended up, like I, uh, wandering into it, you know, it wasn't something I said, I was like, I need to, I need to do this. I wish I had, but I, I think that my wife, my wife isn't, is she's a, she's an art appreciator and a music appreciator, but she's not an artist or a musician. She, mm-hmm. she's a nurse actually. She's a renal, awesome. oh, wow. a renal specialist. So, um, uh, she's, she's somebody who kind of grounds me. That I, I desperately need. Um, and I actually hope she gets that more like analytical side of thinking of things. Um, it would be great if it was like a split down the middle. With some, yeah. you know, mm. But I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But, um, you know, whatever she, she decides to become, um, you know, whatever she decides to come, I'm going to, I'm going to support her and, and, and love it. So I'm going to try not to push her in that direction, but if she, if she really wants to, Mm -hmm. you know, she can do whatever she wants. So that's, that's interesting. You're, you know, for people who don't know, you're a musician and an artist, if that hasn't been clear. 
And all of us have kind of multiple things we're into. I'm graphic designer, woodworker, and barely a musician in our band. And like, it's like everything in me wants to <laughs> like uh, give impart. Like, how, yeah. How do I, how yeah. do I, how do I do the, like, I want to give them as much access as I can, but even maybe like a little nudge, you know, like how to <laughs> like, I'm trying to figure out like, cause my son is already showing like, like I, I when I grew up, I love, loved athletics. And that's kind of like the, the stereotype, right? His dad and son playing sports together or whatever, which that would be cool. I'm down to do that, but he's not showing that, but I'm like stoked. Cause he's showing these things that are like really design minded. And like, so now I'm like, well, I don't want to do the whole thing where I'm like dad jumping in, trying to live vicariously through him. But like, I want to encourage that. I want to see if you've got access from this young and, and knowledge and information from this young, like what that could end up doing. And so Jim, I think I, you should I'm just curious go, to know how like you should just go full blown that. toddlers in Tierra with the first one, since you've got a backup oh, kid, yeah. you know, yeah. if it doesn't work out, you just yeah. rectify it with the second, you know, Yeah, man. but like, that's, that's, a, is that, that's, train that's a temptation, man. It's a temptation. That's to why be you like, have redundancy. All right. All right. Atticus, come over here. I'm going <laughs> to teach you a little bit about Photoshop or something, or like, you know, just sit him down and, and have like design class with him or something like that. But, um, so your your son your son is has shown interest in in design and stuff like that. Dude, okay, so this is crazy. He 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 notices aesthetic and design things. So when I say design, I don't just mean graphic design, but he knows that that's what I do, and he's connected. He's like, oh, you make logos, and he asks me about the process a lot. But um, so our band has a, a a typeface that we use for our name, and it's just a really wide set font, like super mm-hmm. simple, super in right now. And I didn't tell, I haven't showed it to him or anything, but all of a sudden he picked up on it. He's seen it and he's like, oh, that's my Epic. And he's noticed the characteristics of it. And anytime he sees a wide set font anywhere in public, he says, that's like what you use for my Epic or the, for the logo. And I'm just blown away by that. Like, I want to, I want to like harness that and be like, oh, if you recognize that, I don't think all five-year-olds are paying attention to fonts. Like maybe, maybe this is something like, you know, and so I got, man, I'm, I'm starting to get into that place of like, I kind of want to do this with my son, you know, like I want to play the proverbial, throw the proverbial ball with him, you know? Well, let's, and let's, like, throw, let's throw it to the listeners. All you dad heads out there, tweet <laughs> us at, at the dad cast. That's right. Let that's us know. Right. What <laughs> I think, I think Atticus is, you're going to be like at a takeout restaurant. Atticus is going to be like judging the kerning of the menu. Yes. <laughs> dude. <being> like, <laughs> I could only well, I hope. I would be so the proud. Of the food that yeah, like we're I'd not getting so that. Proud. See, look at the space between the you know, <laughs> dude, the teriyaki menus, and the uh, menus. Hey, all I know you. is I won't see a movie if I don't like the poster. Usually, mm. yeah. Hey, I mean, it, what if it all matters. your friends are like, dude, you got to see it? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> no, no, no. Design, right, so design, Trump's friends. Rigid. Yeah. <laughs> huh? what? what was that the design trumps friends always okay oh, he doesn't yeah. Yeah. Well, so he doesn't I keep remember, those people he gets rid of them they gotta go yeah like uh, i just get them out of my life yeah completely uh there's i mean there's definitely bands that have like aesthetics that i i i don't like that i listen to though. Mm-hmm. um but it does add so much like which, you know, to this whole topic, like they, the two go so well together, like 
when I think of books that I've read that have amazing covers, mm-hmm. albums that have amazing covers, like it informs the the whole, like one mm-hmm. image can inform the whole story so much. Mm-hmm. I've listened mm-hmm. to tons of music because of the cover. Totally. Now I think that I can be unbiased afterwards, be like, oh, I don't actually like that. And I like plenty of bands that have terrible looking art in my opinion, but you know, but from the beginning, it matters. Like from the onset, like it it affects the way you experience it. I remember picking up a Muse record because Storm Thorkison had designed the mm. the cover, and um, I'd never heard of Muse. And I listened to Muse, and I'm I'm not like a huge Muse fan, but I probably wouldn't have. I mean, I, I mean, I I learned about Muse five years before they were. Huge in the United States, at least, because of the album cover. Mm -hmm. For Black Holes, is that the one he did? Uh, Or was it Origin of Symmetry? I'm trying to remember which one Storm Thor. I'm pretty sure it's that 2006 record. It was, I think it was 2006. Yeah, because he did that Black Holes and and where they're like sitting at a table, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, Yeah. I think that's the one. Yeah. He also did a Fish album cover for Slip Stitch and Pass. And did you get again, Did you get super into that one too? I I wasn't. I mean, uh, <laughs> you can admit it on the air if you want to admit to being a huge fish. Fan. I swear, I swear, I like. I listen. Like, I am not a jam band guy. Uh, Me I'm, neither. I'm not. And mm-hmm. uh, even though I feel like this is a slippery slope, okay. Even though I feel like fish does interesting things, and I appreciate what it is they do i don't want to listen to them mm-hmm. um although i will say that slip stitch and pass record they had their moments like there was uh, i really liked that cover of uh cities that talking head song they did mm-hmm. uh and then you know although man i went back and listened to it with my wife like a year ago and i'm gonna get so much hate for this i turned it off like two <laughs> minutes into i was like i can't listen to this this is like i i can't it's like nails on a chalkboard i'm sure you have a a wide range of music you listen to but you said you're not a jam band guy what what kind of guy are you like um what what do you what do you list well you were kind of raised around blues right yeah like i was raised uh around well bluegrass and 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 gospel music honestly Mm. was was kind of what i was like like really raised with um, mm-hmm. when I was like eight or 10 years old. That's all I listened to because my parent, my, my dad was a, a minister. Okay. And so then they did a very Baptist thing and got a divorce. And, <laughs> and so my, my mother remarried and we moved out of state. And that's when I really got into uh, normal everyday music. And it was like a kid in a candy store. Like all mm. of a sudden I could just go and listen to whatever I wanted to. And MTV, we had MTV. And uh, and you were allowed to watch it? Because that was not a Baptist thing. I was, hey, look, man, I was the <laughs> third kid. And, and, and my mom at that oh, point was like. Let it go. I could, I could watch Beavis and Butthead. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Dude. Okay. I could, I could watch anything I wanted to uh, as long as I was in bed by like. 10:30. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, sorry, tangent. Uh but uh 
yeah, I mean, I was raised up on like muscle shoals and stuff after, after when I got into my teenage years and mm-hmm. started trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, uh, I mean, I moved from Atlanta to muscle shoals. Uh, I'm not like indigenous to muscle shoals. I, I was mm-hmm. born in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I've got like all that bluegrass upbringing mm-hmm. and uh, moved to muscle shoals, got into the music scene there. Uh, became a major appreciator and lover of the music that, that came out of the area and the musicians that live there. Uh, uh, and that's sort of where I got my start. It reformed my musical encyclopedia mm-hmm. or whatever. Is that where you're uh, living now? No, but it's home. Okay. Um, my, my, my mom and my stepfather and you know a bunch of my family still live up in Muscle cool. Shoals. I live in Birmingham now. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And the band, um, the St. Paul and the Broken Bones is the band I'm in. And we're, we're pretty much all out of Birmingham. We've actually got one guy living or two guys living in the Shoals now though. Gotcha. Well, how, what are things like right now in Birmingham? You guys okay? We're fine. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I live sort of, uh, on the Southern edge of, of Birmingham and, you know, race tension is nothing new for Birmingham, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think almost everybody thinks of Alabama when they think about yeah. race. Oh, yeah. Sure. And uh, my wife's from Alabama. So. In a lot of ways, yeah. It's, yeah, it's terrible. But I feel like in a lot of ways that gives us an upper hand since we've been through that and everybody knows that Alabama is known for that. We sort of have to fight a little harder to show mm-hmm. that we're not like that anymore. Right. And um, and so I mean, like our our mayor just last night, Mayor Randall Woodfin. He's he's a he's a black man. He, Killer. Yeah, I think so too. And he he took down all of the Confederate uh, statues. That's great. Uh, in well, isn't, isn't he the one who said if if they were trying to tear it down, and he said if you stop. I'll have it taken down in 24 hours. Yeah. And then he, and did. he did. Yeah. He, did killer. Wow. And he even That's took awesome. down some that uh, I believe I don't have to look again. I'm trying to stay off Twitter because it's just mm-hmm. I, my nerves are I shot. Hear but, but I think that he even took down a few more that weren't even asked, weren't even asked about. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one in a high school parking lot, I believe that he took down and, but yeah, no, everything's, everything's okay here. There's been, there's been a little looting down just like a little bit of looting downtown, some windows broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, no, no really terribly unfortunate events or anything. Has it? Has, well, first, first we had COVID, and then this. The uh, Jew guys, St. Paul and the Broken Bones. So you're you're a broken bone, is that correct? Yeah. Is that how it works? Okay. Mm. Um, I, which I bone are you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find a good one. Yeah, yeah the funny bone. Femur is big. That's a big femur one. is femur is really big, but uh, it's pretty. I'll, clavicle is like essential. Clavicle is a good one. I'd uh, be a I'll set like, of ribs. It's pretty biblical. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's good. I, what's the little bone in your coccyx? Coccyx. Coccyx. Yeah, no, that's the your one at bone. the end of your sternum. What's the little bone? What's the like? There's like three little bones near you. Oh, the ha- hammer, anvil, and stirrup, right? <laughs> yeah. 
I'll be the uh, stirrup. <laughs> I got to be honest. I'm wanting That's to throw a heck of a bone. <laughs> that is a, like, it's microscopic. I'm reading all these birthing books right now, like to be a good, you know, teammate. So all the terms I'm thinking of are like women's body part. Like <laughs> I'm having to fight, like yelling out, like all these things I know I'll get in trouble for. <laughs> Well, all that I, I got us a little distracted, but I was what I was trying to get at was ha, has your, I mean, were you guys already gonna be home for a little bit, or did you guys get thrown off pretty good? Well, we were, we, it wound up being kind of okay because mm-hmm. we had planned on staying home a little bit this this spring, mm-hmm. and uh, and we were recording a new record actually in Birmingham. Uh, it's the first one we haven't done outside of Birmingham since, well, since the very first EP we did before the first mm-hmm. album. So we, you know, we, we've done all these records in Nashville. We did, uh, some recording in LA and we talked about it. We were like, this is pointless. Like we're wasting so much money mm-hmm. and I think we could do something just as good and maybe even cooler in like a small studio in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what we decided on doing. And we had three weeks of studio time in February. And I think that um, uh, coronavirus was really just sort of showing mm-hmm. what it was yeah. going to be about that time. I remember about halfway through it, we were all we were all sitting around. We were like, "Man, we might not we not we not we might not be here in like." a couple of months. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it wound up being not that bad. What, <laughs> what the worst thing was we actually had like a three month tour lined up with Tedeschi trucks band and all of that had been canceled mm. for the summertime. Yeah. So that's, that's <clears throat> really canceled, not postponed. Uh, some of them were canceled. Some of them were postponed. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. So are you saying that you guys have some new music coming out? Yeah, we have a lot of it. Big oh, announcement cool. right here. You heard it first. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, we recorded a ton of music. That's awesome. Um, That's cool. Maybe yeah, I, the most we've ever recorded at one time. You guys are just another one of those, like, thank you, NPR Tiny Desk. Because that, mm-hmm. that first yeah. Tiny Desk you guys did, just like, it, it hipped me to you guys. And mm-hmm. uh, like, it took oh, two cool. seconds. Wasn't, wasn't yours the one where your singer stood on the desk? Yeah. And they started, yeah. like, they, like, zoomed in on his shoes. And I was like, I'm in. I'm 100% <laughs> in on this. Uh, and, yeah, su- super cool stuff, man. Super cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's really nice of you to say that. Uh, mm-hmm. We, uh, we it's try refreshing. Make- it's not like normal. It's not like every other thing we're hearing, you know, that's so cool. Well, that's, I mean, Paul, Paul's one of those guys that, um, so when I moved to Birmingham, I, I just gotten out of Jason, you know, Jason Isbell, from the mm-hmm. 400 unit. Yeah. So I was, I was, I played guitar in that band for a long time and, uh, I just left that band, uh, and moved to Birmingham and to, to live with my now wife mm-hmm. and I knew Jesse Phillips, uh, the, the bass player from mm-hmm. touring in another Birmingham band, uh, Azure Ray. I was in that band for a little while and we toured and that band opened up for us. Anyway, I knew, I knew Jesse for a while and he was like, Hey man, would you like to come play guitar in this thing I'm doing with my friend Paul? I think you'd like it. It's kind of muscle shoalsy and, you know, Paul's sort of a blues or a soul singer. And 
sort of a soul singer. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, guessy man. He's uh, he's Canadian. Yeah. Which one of you guys is Canadian? Uh, close, close. Nate is almost Canadian. I'm from, I'm from Minneapolis, which is you're from Minneapolis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I thought I thought I thought somebody was Canadian. I wish I would. Canada's awesome, but anyway. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll do I'll be half Canadian. Why not? <laughs> that sounds Man, good. Jesse's about as Canadian as it gets. So he like Understated. Underplay, underplays yeah. everything, mm. and it's just like yeah, he's kind of, you know he's, he's pretty good, you know. And um, so I went and recorded on a couple of tracks, and I was like, "This is really cool. Uh, I'd love to hear it when you get it all together." They had all the vocals muted. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. Yes. They never <laughs> even unmuted them. Okay. And I, a couple weeks later, Jesse sent me the roughs and it was Broken Bones and Pocket Change, mm. which, uh, I mean, I had nothing to do with that. So I just played on that song. Mm-hmm. You know, I just played the chords or whatever and, and like did some things, but they wrote it together. And I listened, I sat there and listened to it. My wife was making dinner. And, uh, and I remember I like looked back to, looked back at her and I was like, I think this is really, really good. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, it's good. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I think it's like, I think other people would think it's good too. Like, I don't think it's good because like, Hey, these are my buddies and, and, uh, and we're doing something. We made a thing, but like, I think this might actually be really good. Yeah. And I called Jesse immediately and was like, who's the girl singing on this track? <laughs> he was like, dude, you met, that was Paul. That was the dude wearing the Alabama hat that you like met that night. I was like, that guy. <laughs> Isn't it insane? You would yeah, never it, picture that guy. No, ever. because I mean, he just, I mean, Paul. Even now that Paul, we're saying you'll never picture him, you'll never picture him. No, you you, you wouldn't because Paul is, is, is very unassuming. Mm-hmm. Like even everywhere but stage. Okay, I was going to say the only way I've seen him is stage, and I was like, that's not totally unassuming. But that's but the he's, best that's, way to be. That's the yeah. best way to be. No, it's 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 really cool because I, I feel like he he does he has control of that stage mm-hmm. uh, persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, is so, it like and Paul and then Saint from, Paul? Yeah, it's it's not too far from like how Paul really is. It's not. Mm-hmm at all it's just like he turns into this entertainer yeah uh and uh and so i i like got way into it i was like man i really want to write music i want to be in this band because i just like hopped on to play guitar Mm -hmm. and they were like yeah man great because i was like the only one that had toured at that point wow and so uh we got in and we we played a show and like I'm sorry I'm rambling about this, but I love mm, telling the story cool. because no, like, it's cool. I love telling the story because Paul showed up, man. Okay. Our first show was at 1 PM. <laughs> it was on, on, in a field in Alabama, yeah. August. Oh, I think it was August 1st. Wow. Uh, Stop bragging about the big gig, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, man. It, dude. Hey, it was like degrees. 101 degrees yep. outside. Okay. Oh, man. And dead daylight, like, like the stage, like barely had a roof on it. Mm-hmm. Paul shows up in a full suit <laughs> and like walking with his own microphone out of his car. 
And I see this guy walking up and I was like, is he for real? Cause I'm just like <laughs> wearing like normal. And he just like got on stage and we barely knew these songs and he absolutely owned it. Like yes. all the confidence in the world. Um, we, I don't even think we had a rehearsal as a band wow. before that show. There were like 12 people there and he was yeah. literally giving every ounce of what he had. It's so and, perfect because it's like, it's the way that he appeared to us. He like, he just walked to me, he just like walked out of the fog. We, well, your whole band walked out of the fog, played like lights out goods. <laughs> You're saying he did that to you as well. I, yeah, he did. <laughs> well, that's what, I mean, he, he made me a believer. Like I was that his first, was that his first show ever? No. Okay. So Paul and Jesse had known each other for a while. Oh, previous okay. to this, And they had this, they had this little band called the uh, secret dangers. Like it. So that was Paul's very first thing ever. Okay. And he was like already 25 or six at that point. Hmm. And uh, I think it was like a little different, like Paul was playing guitar. And the thing, the reason Paul, Paul doesn't play guitar in this band is because he literally couldn't help himself from smashing things. <laughs> and it's legitimate. Like he, it's like, it's like soul Tourette's. Like he <laughs> cannot, or entertainment Tourette's. Like he cannot yeah. like keep himself from doing something. If he's like, he sees a moment where he's like, I got to get these people back into it. He will do it. Mm-hmm. like and not even it's like a knee-jerk reaction there's just a certain kind of people that do that and it, it, you just know it when you see it it's like oh yeah you're one of those people they have, like they have yeah. it. got it like yeah. it's insane uh, yeah and I, and I remember like literally calling my mom and being like you know i played this show with this new band i joined and i think it's like it's there's something really special about you know, what, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's not because it's not because of like what I'm doing in the band or what Jesse's doing. It's got a little bit more to do with what Paul has to be, <laughs> what Paul's doing, but like what we do together, mm-hmm. like when we get up there and what Paul, like how I play in this band is different than how I play in any band ever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. I think mm-hmm. it's because I like, I'm literally picking up all this energy mm-hmm. from Paul and I can't like, I, I jump around. I do these faces when I play with, <laughs> with, with St. Paul, like my wife made actually, hang on. I'll show you. I'll show yeah. you. <laughs> okay. I know you can't see these, um, but like my wife made coasters Oh, <laughs> of, nice. of all your all your stank faces, look at this. Oh, that's a stank face. <laughs> yeah. Baby. Oh, yeah. Like there's there's like all of these coaster. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, oh, good. It, it, she made these coasters for me because I'm, I'm I make such awful faces when I'm playing with this <laughs> band, uh, and I can't I can't help it. Dude, you can't and help I, it, man. You're just in it. Some, some, like when I hear your, when I hear that music, it's like, yeah, this is stank face music. Like you have to make yeah. that face to play it right. Mm-hmm. That's your it's own a, form what? of soul Tourette's, man. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, if you don't, if you don't own and haven't licensed the term soul Tourette's yet, you should really get on top Next of that. Next album title. Oh, yeah. hey, man. <laughs> Maybe so, did, so. So did music come first or did painting come first? Uh, 
I uh, I really don't know. That's a great answer. Um, I, I think that I think that probably one sort of overtook another for a while. They kind of leapfrogged, mm-hmm. uh, and they still do because you know, like I can't tour right now, and I'm painting a lot. You know, that's sort of my my dad or my mom would give me um, to keep me happy in church they would give me like something to draw with while oh, yeah. i was sitting there mm-hmm. and that's when i started drawing and and i would draw people in the in the pews uh and i guess that's when i first really got into it um but but at the same time my family like I, all everybody in my family played an instrument so uh yeah i mean i got you know there was always a guitar or a banjo or a you know a mandolin sitting around so mm-hmm. I don't know. I've always been sort of like in love with both of them, like two kids or something. It's it's you're not the only uh, pastor's kid on this call. And you're also (laughs) you're on the majority. I think we're also the majority that we've all defaced a a church bulletin. Like (laughs) it's it's what they're for. You know, yeah, we've definitely all done that. Although I'm not a pastor's kid. I mean, there yeah, are you're people. yeah. Nate's the odd man out. I'm on the this only one. one. I'm not a PK. So what? What are you? What's what's your? What do your parents do? What did um, they do? My Nathan dad. walked out of the mist for us. <laughs> <He's like our laughs> <Paul>. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to try to live up to that. Uh, my parents. My mom is a was like a music teacher, and then she was now she's like an administrator for like actually pre like they call it pre K, but it's You'd consider it preschool, basically, but like for oh, a whole school district. Um, and then my dad uh, has done IT since like the early '80s. Somebody had to do it. Wow. He was ahead of the curve, early adopter. Yeah, he like learned. He like actually didn't go to college. He just learned computers and then started working IT. Like, and he's been doing that for forever. Wow, that's really dude. That cool. makes so much sense with you, Nate. Both of those, things, both of those things are just like, yep, that's that's you. <laughs> well, before we get too far into like talking about all, because we've obviously your music's amazing, man, and I, we've already alluded to that your art. Oh, is, and you do a bunch of solo stuff, but we haven't even mentioned that. Yeah, but. that's true. Are you still doing anything solo? Like, have you done anything recently? Um, no. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to ignore that. Yeah, there's but go, good go solo ahead. stuff, go and ahead. also thank you, thank you. If there's any other credits you want to mention, you can remember them later. We'll, we'll just tag them all really hard at the end. Well, but, there's also my book. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa!" I was you like, wrote Yo. World War Z. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote World War Z. Um, yeah, no, that was me. Yeah, wow. um, but and then your artwork, which we're going to talk more about. Is also amazing. So my, I, I was just hoping you had an awful personality, like something to make me feel better about yeah, myself. That would have been good. Like that would have, <laughs> but no, you seem like a, but we have a tradition, um, you know, we're usually talking to people who are known for one area of their creativity, but have another really beefy area. And one of the things we like to do to prepare ourselves and let you know that we're ready is we always write a haiku. We each write a haiku for the guests uh, on the topic. No way. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a haiku for you. Every guest a says very that. high quality haiku. <laughs> it's only, <laughs> it's to be honest, it's only seventeen syllables, so it's it wasn't that. Yeah. But uh, but something about so Jeremiah, you said the task was to look at his paintings and then 
and then write write the haiku, right? Yeah. So usually, bro, and like it's you know, so say we're talking to somebody about their on uh, aside from being a musician, they're a counselor, and so we write a haiku about counseling, and they're trying to say how they're they're kind of grading us on how well we understand what counseling is. This yeah. is different because it's like it's it's art or it's painting. I was like, what's the what angle do we go? So <clears throat> we're gonna tell you how we felt looking at your art. Okay. And you can kind of see if if we're getting the right vibe. Okay. Usually, usually we get graded out of 10. <clears throat> so just feel free to let it like you let it let it fly. Yeah. Okay. And you can be hard. We've right. gotten bad grades before. I feel like it's Nate's turn to go first. Nate, oh, Nate's man. been closing us out recently. <clears throat> and I've been dominating you guys. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. But Nate, make sure you drop the haiku music post-production. Yeah. We got to get that, that going. Music. Okay. All right. All right. You okay. Gotta tell me every time. Okay. There's haiku music? God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is a full awesome. production. We take this really <laughs> serious. Okay. What do you got, okay. Nate? I got to get psyched. Hold on. Okay. Get psyched. <clears throat> we know the best art is of eagles and horses. Your stuff is cool, though. <laughs> oh man right. eagles I like and horses. that one okay i like that one you can go ahead and score it now like we're up front so you don't get confused or you can wait till the end hmm. Hmm. i'm gonna, I'm gonna score him. okay so here's the, the thing you don't have to have seen his art to, to have given that i'm gonna knock, knock you some points there <clears throat> good thing you're not giving out the points huh <laughs> <laughs> uh I'm gonna have to give that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna grade each one as I go. So I'm not I'm not okay. playing any favorites. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna give that one because of uh, Jeremiah's uh, interesting little tidbit there about not mm. having to see the art, which is very true. That's an eight. An eight. Yeah. But I do it. I do really like it a lot. Also, it's very clear that you missed his Eagle Horse series, but I'm not gonna rub your nose <laughs> in it. Um, yeah, that was. That I was checked like through the prints to see if there were uh, eagle <laughs> horse combinations. All right, <clears throat> Jeremiah, do you want to go next? I can go next. That's fine. Okay. All right. What you got? I feel uneasy. <laughs> Tell me about the churches. Real life abstracted. Wow. Okay. That was a heavy one. That's kind of his thing. That's my vibe. <laughs> He's not real fun. I don't want people to laugh at my haiku. <laughs> don't laugh at me. Don't laugh at my haiku, please. Okay, so I'll tell you about the churches. I'm going to grade it first. Okay. Yeah, please. That one's, an, uh, that one's a nine. Ooh, oh, baby. Nice. That's only one point away from perfect. <laughs> and and uh, the churches, uh, it's because I, I like to paint buildings and uh I, yeah i noticed a lot more buildings <laughs> than just churches there's but. a there's a there's a ton of old i try to i kind of try to do like local stuff um there's a ton of old dilapidated buildings in alabama and it just where where they're floating in the sky and stuff like they're like mm-hmm. detaching away from yeah uh their foundations i'm sure you can get real deep uh about that like having something to do with my past moving around a bunch but uh, I just think it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Floating uh, in the ether. Yeah, it's cool. Is yeah. there a town yeah. called Burnt Corn? Is that the deal? There is. I actually drove through it. Just it's a heck of a name for a town. <laughs> we have a lot of uh, towns like that in Alabama. There's one called Wetumpka. Whoa. Nice. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, burnt corn, Utah, but it's spelled E U T A W. Mm. Oh, Utah. Yes, yeah. Utah. That's a very. That's a very Alabama way to spell Utah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There is. There is a town. Yeah. There is a. There is a town called Burnt Corn. But. All right. Am I up? Yeah, you're up. You're, you're up. confident about right. yours, I, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I'm proud. Of, I would say I'm proud of it. That's not the same I'm, as confident. Uh, he's patriotic I'm about proud his IQ. Okay. okay, here we go. Surreal scenes for sale: octopus and monkey knots, reasonably priced. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with 9.5 on that one. Oh, yes. he wins! Yeah, yeah. He wins! Eat it, it. both it. of you. That eat was it. good. That was good. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, 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 man, thanks, guys. It's of that course. was dude. I really literally the least we can do is <laughs> <right>. <laughs> for all of the joy you've given us as an artist. Yeah. Like, man, I, that that was nice. We wanted to take a quick break to invite you to check out The Epicenter. The Epicenter is our Patreon-based online community. If you're enjoying this podcast, you should check it out because there is a ton more content just like this. There are three different tiers with tons of other perks like exclusive music, video content, and merch with more being added each month. And it's all built around a Discord server where we hang out and keep each other encouraged and inspired. Additionally, There are bonus episodes of Between the Notes each month available only to Patreon members. Right now, the patrons have access to an episode we did with our friend, lead singer of So Long Forgotten and White Lucy, Micah Boyce. It's the third episode in a track-by-track breakdown of our 2010 album, Yet. This episode covers the second track, Lower Still, on which Micah contributed guest vocals. Here's a quick taste of that conversation. Well, I was going to say it was like after we met, we almost toured exclusively together <laughs> for like two years. It always felt um, right because we, were, we weren't too much alike, but we fit really well together. Yeah, for sure. And I think like um, we just had like a – I just think about bands at that time that were like, you know, we're again playing this like Christian scene, but like we had such a similar ethic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. that was – I think something that it was like, I, man, whenever I think about you guys, I just go like, even now, like I can, we're, we're talking to each other for the first time in what couple years and we can just pick up where we left off. And, right, man. you know, if we want, like, we'll spare the listeners, but like, um, <laughs> if, if we were together right now with, with a few beers and like, uh, a bunch of time, we would probably get into, essentially like all of us still trying to figure out what all of this means yeah and, like you know and that's what our our tours were we're just like weeks and weeks of um late night conversations whether that was over some sort of bonfire or just like sitting in our bus or mm-hmm. whatever getting like, tattoos in our house yeah oh man <laughs> yep i got them on my feet yeah. still got them <laughs> still got them it'd be cool to have micah do it because our voices are pretty different um and I don't even remember. I think we talked about it, but like this almost didn't happen. Like we, I laid down a scratch vocal for the second verse, and Goldman was like, "Oh, is this the one you want to have your friend do guest vocals on?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I don't know, man. You just did a really cool take." Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> "I was like," and I remember thinking I did do a good take, but I was like, "Yeah, but it's just a different thing." And you're gonna have a whole record of hopefully good Aaron takes. And then we talked and you were like, yeah, you and Heather just so happened to be going on vacation and driving yep. right through Atlanta, right? Yeah, that's 100% what happened. We were actually driving um, 
what what year did two thousand ten? It was two thousand. Like, yeah, it was like so, April or May of two thousand ten. Yeah, we were going to um, one of Heather's friends' weddings uh, in uh, Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, and so yeah, we were driving through Atlanta, and yeah, it just worked out. Yeah, I was like, yeah, do you want to do this? And you're like, sure. And and uh, you showed up and you did one take, and Goldman's like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did I only do one take? No, I mean, but after the first take, Goldman was like, yeah, this is going to be good. Like, he oh, he was yeah. he was on the train at that point. And then he's like, how can I record your band? Yeah. <laughs> and then he... If you want to hear the rest of that conversation and get a ton more awesome content just like it, maybe take a minute and go check out The Epicenter over at patreon.com slash The Epicenter. No, I, I had seen the stuff you had done for some covers. Um, yeah. Like, you did some Jason Isbell covers, right? Some 400 mm-hmm. unit covers. Have you done... Mm-hmm the St. Paul covers as well, or any of those? I actually just did one for us. Oh, awesome. Ooh. Uh, yeah, but uh, no, so far I haven't done any any for the band okay. that we've released. But checking out, I mean, your stuff has such a surreal, like, dreamy, and it, to me it, like, leans at times, like, to dream, and then other times towards, like, a nightmare. Like, it almost reminds me of, like, I don't know if you're a fan of like uh, Stephen King's works, but like there's some th- there's some things in it that are like really nuanced, and they just suggest so much like I don't know dreamy ethereal stuff to me. Like, is that this this style that you're in is like that something that you arrived at pretty quickly? Um, no. Not to uh, say that all of your stuff looks like one thing. No, because that's the thing I yeah, noticed no. for sure is like it's really diverse. Um, yeah, and and I, and I can't ever tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, because I know that some I do some things that sell almost immediately and some things that never sell. And it's inevitable that the things that never never sell are the things that I actually Your favorites. Are, yeah, like <laughs> painting. Like it's um, like music, right? Like songs, do you experience exactly that same. with songs? It's yeah. very it's the very same. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Uh they're like I mean, and, it, and it's not to say that I don't get some joy out of I mean everything I paint. I wouldn't be painting it if it, if I didn't have, you know, get some joy out of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, the trees that I paint, uh, like the, the, the one I did for the 400 unit record, mm-hmm. I did in 2006 and it, 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 like, it became kind of, if people like my artwork, it's, that was usually the sort of gateway painting for people. Uh, and then I did uh, "Here We Rest," which has the two birds on it, mm-hmm. and and then I also did one for John Paul White that was a painting that I had done in 2006, but um, the the album itself wasn't released until like 2016. But he wanted mm-hmm. to use that painting; it was kind of an older painting. But like I noticed that a lot of those paintings that people gravitated towards were from a very, very painful part of my life. Like it was mm. right after a, like a really bitter divorce, divorce that mm. I'd gone through. And, mm. uh, I was not happy <laughs> at all. I was not a happy camper. And you know, it's weird. Like a lot of that d- darkness came in out of those paintings, even though I feel like I was trying to find some, some sort of lightness, you know, Mm. Uh, there's a lot of they're very very colorful paintings but they're also very very dark do you feel like the painting was like one of the ways that you were spitting it out like the oh it was definitely 
zero there was zero question of that like i i literally painted uh every single day like for eight hours a day during that during that period and it was how i was coping with with what i was going through you know um but at least i had that coping mechanism you know i'm very sure. thankful that i had that coping mechanism because i mean because a lot of people don't have something that they can lose themselves in and and feel like you get something you know constructive out of it you know mm-hmm. one of the things uh, that I, that i feel like really kind of at least i can use to typify most of your catalog is like really kind of bright neon colors contrasted against like blacks and stuff like is that mm-hmm. do you just are you always drawn to those colors is that something because i it's something that i really like about it i for some reason in the last year um the thing that i work best to is is i don't know if you've ever heard of the term chill wave but it's like very 80s inspired it sounds like the background of a karate kid and Dude, i think i love that i paint i paint to that stuff all the time it's that all that i sur- that band survived. Yeah, great. You know, great. Guys, yeah, like I mean, they're the guys who did the the Stranger Things soundtrack. Yeah, that's I love I, their stuff. Well, I was born in '82, and so even though I was, oh, awesome. What's yeah. your birthday? Is it the same? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, I'm a month. I'm a, a few Very weeks older. Than you, October thirtieth. Uh, uh, oh but um, <laughs> but I feel like because, and maybe this is different for you, but for me, because I was a pastor's kid, and and they, my parents are awesome, but I there was a certain amount. I mean, I did go to public school, but when I was little, yeah. there was a little bit of insulation on accident. And so all I was hearing was like church music, but mm-hmm. the, I was in the eighties culture, like in, in like elevators and in like the supermarket, you'd hear that stuff. And it like, it, I think it like got into my brain in some way. So that kind of music to me is very dreamy because it mm-hmm. brings up a time that I'm too young to have many memories of. But when mm-hmm. I hear like, when I hear like Phil Collins or something or Peter Gabriel, it's like, even if I didn't know the song, which now I do, but even then I'd be yeah. like, Oh, I know like, I know this from some culture, hearing it bleeding through the culture. And so that's makes, interesting. And, and that's interesting because like, I remember I have very like foggy memories of hearing those same songs that you're, mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like a Phil Collins night. song on the way to the pool or something okay. with my mom and I'm in the back seat. Uh, and every time I hear that, it triggers that memory in the back of my head. Exactly. And what I was thinking when I saw it, when I first was looking at your art, beyond just the covers that I'd seen was like, oh, it looks like a lot of these um, chill wave artists have a lot of like YouTube and their art and stuff. And all their album art looks very neon against darks, contrasty, like kind of like um, Blade Runner-y. And your stuff looks like very fleshed out paint as opposed to obviously a much more handmade medium than a lot of the, mm. the graphic art, but I didn't know. See, there was I'm, a I'm actually, a, I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff. And I'm, and I've always been jealous that I can't create things like that. Um, because I, I, I love that stuff. I love minimalism, mm. but for some reason I can't make myself be more minimal, minimalistic. And mm. it's, and it's something that I'm always, I feel like I'm always struggling with is that like, I want to get, I want to make my paintings less busy all the time. I can relate to that so much as a songwriter, <laughs> like the, the wanting to be, oh, cause, cause whenever it's the simplest idea, it always feels like it's the strongest uh, the, mm. the songs that we have that are the most successful. And I, and I do video work. That's my other job. Like the stuff that's the, like the simplest is always the best, but trying to get myself there is like always but I feel like you end up finding like that's what makes your voice you right like that like maybe you like a Tyco cover 
like a, like one of like their album covers or whatever. Dude, I love everything that Tycho does. <laughs> yeah. Like his, his, his aesthetic, his album covers, his music, like, like I think he, he was supposed to come to Birmingham uh, and uh, before all this pandemic crap happened and of course he canceled. So I've, I've never actually seen him. Quitter. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, go ahead, Jeremiah. Uh, well, <clears throat> I was going to kind of change gears, not significantly, but you were saying that you're, you know, some of the art that was connecting the most was coming out of a lot of deep hurt and pain from the, mm-hmm. the divorce and then you kind of referenced earlier, like how you're feeling through all this. Like, what's your art like right now that you're doing in the middle of all this? Um, it's random, and uh, I mean, I'm working a lot, I'm painting a lot. Uh, there's been some commissions, and of course, those those don't have a lot to do with any kind of like. <laughs> it's it's all about making money. Yeah. Um, but the, so far, the things I've done have been uh, kind of a little bit more paranoid. Uh, mm. You know, it's just I, I, I guess I'm I'm picking up on all of the ten, uh, like everything's just so tense, mm-hmm. and this is the first real thing I've been through really since becoming a father, and that and that hits you in a completely different way when. Mm-hmm you're not only responsible for your own well-being anymore. You're responsible for this other child. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just want to make sure that that person has the best life. And I don't know, you're, you're watching all this, this stuff happen out in the world and you're, I don't know, it, it brings a lot of yeah. stress in. So I'm trying to get it out through the painting. And, um, actually I've been, I've been painting a lot of canvases and like, uh, repainting over them mm. a lot. Mm. Um, and I don't know what that is. It feels like something's trying to come out, but I just don't know how to properly get it out there. Um, mm. I have finished a couple more churches. Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, but at this point it's like when I, when I first start doing something, it's sort of like the trees. I feel like it's, I'm, I'm flexing some sort of muscle for the first time or something in my brain or, and, uh, and then I get it out a couple of times and it kind of evolves quickly and I'm, I'm kind of done with it. Uh, I did just finish this. Uh, like I said, I've done a couple of our abstracts with my daughter. Um, I've gotten into spray painting a lot, spray painting the canvases and then, I bought, it's funny that, uh, Aaron mentioned, uh, the bright colors. Cause I literally just brought, uh, just bought this whole new paint set of, uh, really super bright colors mm. <laughs> that are like awesome. brighter than usual. Um, and I'm going to start painting with those, but honestly, I haven't really been able to finish much. Really? Yeah. I bet, I, that, that honestly all seems to line up with the current vibe, right? I mean, that all like, yeah just tracks totally with what we're going through. It's a, it's a scary time and it's, I gotta, I gotta be completely honest. Like I, the first couple of weeks were like this kind of awesome unscheduled, but kind of scary vacation. Mm -hmm. And then like week three kind of hit and it 
sunk in and I was like, wow, this is very real. And, Mm -hmm. and I feel like, uh, we're not getting a lot of help. The, the, the kind of help we need to be getting with this. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, I guess about last week I made the mistake of going down a Twitter rabbit hole and, Mm. and was like, Oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) what is happening in this world? Yeah. Mm. And, uh, it's only gotten worse the last week, by the way. Yeah. I don't know if you know following the news, but (laughs) I follow it way too closely Mm -hmm. for my own health. Yeah, man. You were talking about being a father through all this. Like you have the one sense of protection that you mentioned. And then there's the other sense of like, well, obviously I teach my kid that racism is wrong. Like that's not, you know, and, and to be safe and, and stay clean and all that stuff. But at a deeper level, like how am I preparing my kid to like navigate? I don't even know how to navigate this. How am Mm -hmm. I going to prepare my kid? Like what, what's the trajectory right now? And that's the big, like freaky part is like, what trajectory are we on right now? Um, I know. which direction are we going, you know? Um, and so, yeah, like you, like you said, being a father doesn't make that any, any easier. I mean, I'm mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say that I, I guess for the very first time I'm thinking 18 years down the road. Oh yeah. yeah. A lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm thinking five, 10, 18, 18 years down the road. And so I just don't know where it's headed. You know, it's, I don't know how I'm going to explain things to my daughter and it's, you know, parents have always ran into this, you mm-hmm. know, but it, this is just my first experience with it. And so it's, it's keeping me up at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hard, I'm finding it hard to kind of disconnect myself and get lost in a painting or in creative things, even though that's, I, I really feel like that's why they're here. Right. I, I feel like that's why we, we can be creative is to, is to help us disconnect in that way. But it's just really tough right now. It's, yeah. it's, I always tell people like uh, writing music is how I process life. And uh, it can be hard to finish a song when I'm, when I sometimes I've realized, Oh, I'm not done processing that yet. And so the song's not ready to be finished, you know, yeah. or, but then sometimes I realize like, oh, this song isn't going to turn a corner or it's not going to, it might not have anything hopeful to say. This might just be a dark song. Like, because, you yes. know, growing up a, a pastor's kid, like I, I wanted it to always be come back to some kind of hope or answer. But then I realized that the catharsis of spitting something out that's, that's, that's nasty to me is, is a form of processing and that people, you know, mm-hmm. you release a couple of songs like that or a couple of pieces like that, that are just sort of ugly and naked. And at least in my experience, people relate with it a lot. They go, yeah, that really, that, mm-hmm. that connected with me. But you, yeah. you, you were saying like, so right now more than ever, you're having a hard time like getting lost in the painting, which would normally be an escape. And it's not right now. Yeah. And I, I think it's just because everything just feels so personal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, all this civil unrest and, you know, political unrest and, 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 uh, we're still, we're still dealing with, with the problems that we, I feel like we've been dealing with forever and it, it only seems to get worse. And, you know, I, 
I know these things ebb and flow, uh, but it's it's just something I how do you, as a parent how do you navigate it? And mm-hmm. um, I uh, I don't know. I just sit back and and I feel like some of it. I did. I, I painted one picture that, and it's strange because I've never really done anything like this. But it's a it's a large painting, and it looks like someone is trying to block themselves from getting hit or something. Mm-hmm. And there's like, you can, he's got one, he's got one hand sort of up to his face. And he's got one hand out and you can see like one eye. And he's, he's like, you know, he black looks eye. upset about something and oh. it might not be black, but it could be, it's all, it's kind of abstract, but like, I, you know, where did that come from? I don't know this, you know, I, I just, it just sort of came out. It felt right to to paint at the time. It wasn't like I'm going to paint this. It right. Just sort of like yeah. happened. And uh, I don't know. It's just a it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to navigate. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. is that is that the way it is usually for you that the 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 painting the the topics the subjects the pictures just like come out. You're not usually deciding on what you're going to paint, or the image is starting to form in your head before you put the the color on the paint, like. Some of them a little bit more planned out than others. Um, obviously, if I have somebody that asks for a for a commission, you know, I'll talk I'll talk it over with them, and we'll come up with a game plan. But it's uh, as far as like some of my paintings, I'll I'll literally sit there and look at the canvas for hours, uh, and and just sort of stare at it, look at it, and figure it out. Mm. You know. But, yeah. and, and most of the time it's, you know, got some weird, you know, roots and religion and, <laughs> no uh, of course, yeah. one, the one thing I don't want to do as a, as a musician guy and art guy is like do some crappy painting of a guitar, you know what I'm saying? With like mm. vines growing out of the end of it <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't know, man. Could be right up there with the eagles and the horses. <laughs> I gotta get on the eagles and horses. Uh, yeah, yeah, just apparently. keep that in the mind. Keep it spinning. I know I've felt like so unproductive in the last week. Like I really resonate with the idea that you can't finish stuff because I've I have so much. I'm a producer, and I yeah. have so much mixing to do, and I. Like it's at this point, I sit down to do it, and and then like an hour later, I'm I'm either reading the news or I'm playing guitar and writing something different. But it's like yeah. that same feeling. Like I I want to be creative, but I can't put like that creativity into like like meeting the technical stuff with the creative stuff has been like in insanely hard to just go, Oh, I'm going to like, this needs to be finished. I'm going to sit down and, and finish a mix and say this, this is good. This is what it should sound like. That's like been impossible to do. And so I've just keep, I'll, I'll just drift and go do something else or whatever. It seems like it's related to that. Like I forget he was talking about the whole idea of flow states and that when you're, when you're flowing in your flow state of like, uh, you've heard that idea before, uh, Broen, of, of what a yeah. flow state is. That uh, 
when you're in that zone, you're alternating between two different ways of thinking. And like one is very open and then it's closed. You're like open to everything and things are flowing. And then, then, then there's an idea. And even like when you're writing any song, it can happen. Like you have this idea and out of the ether and you're really open to ideas about what the chorus could be. And then once it's in your head, you have like three ways to finish it and you close yeah. your mind and you pick one. And it sounds like right now that like it feels like to me, the open state still works, but the closed state is having a harder time. Like the part of me that has to be an engineer, the part of me that is less emotional because my brain is just stuck in a really empathetic kind of uh, just open place of like, I don't, I don't know. And having to shut it down and like make decisions and like figure out like how I'd finish something like that part's not working. That sounds like what you're describing, Nate. Yeah. yeah. it, It, it really, it really does sound like that because it's like, sometimes I start, I start with an endpoint in mind, but like, I, I feel like a lot lately I'll be going into something creative with no endpoint in mind. Does that make yeah, sense? Totally. It seems yeah. kind of similar. It's like, I don't know what I'm trying to get out of this, but I feel like I need to be creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a central part of our communication as, as artists, when you become one, that's the part that for me, like I, I want to impart to my children if they don't like it, that's fine. But like, to me, it's a way of communicating, not just with other people, but with myself, like with reality, like, what am I learning? How, what am I experiencing? And so Although I'm going back to it when I have nothing to say. That, I disagree with the fact that you guys haven't been able to be creative because you guys just whipped out three awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, yeah, we were, well, we were so inspired by such amazing artwork. It was very easy. Right. You know, some of this, like this stuckness though, has to be because we're still in the middle of it. And to think that we have some, not, not that a song or a piece of art is always an answer, but it's, it's at least say, I have something to say. A response. Yes. And to formulate a coherent response right now feels like probably for a lot of us, it would either be trite or it really is something special that like has to get out. But right, right now, like I, I bet a lot of us are feeling like if I'm feeling the need to say something or write something or paint something to be in the moment, it might just be to be the guy who made something in the moment as opposed to like, we're just all like, what is going on? <laughs> like, this is crazy because well, we were chatting about it for almost an hour before we chatted with you. It's just like, we are seeing things that are like, this is how, this is crazy. What are we supposed to do? And I don't yeah. know, like, like we were saying, like, I don't know what to do as a person, much less a, a father or a neighbor or a white male in, in a not very predominantly white area. Like what, what do, what is going on? And, so I don't have anything to say right now. I wouldn't want to write words down or put any kind of content out right now. Cause I'm just like, I'm just sad with everybody else here. You know, the thing that's, you know, that, that, that really strikes me about this whole, well, I'm going to, I'm going to focus mainly on just like the, the civil rights issue that we're mm-hmm. going through right now Right, is that I'm a guy who was born and raised in the South um, my whole life I've lived here. I've traveled a lot, been lucky to travel and to, to see how a lot of other people deal with racism in other parts of this country and other countries around the world. 
Um, and racism is everywhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a plague that's just in America. It is everywhere. Uh, some places it's very out in the open and nobody cares. Um, but in America, it seems to be a little bit more, uh, behind closed doors, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that that's interesting to me is that I didn't see it a lot at all when I was a kid. And I lived mm-hmm. in Alabama in Georgia and in Tennessee, and I was lucky enough to just avoid it. Um, I have black, tons of black friends. I, I, I don't view black people as anything different than what I am. Mm -hmm. And I see so many people that have, that are my age. These are black men and women that are my age that have gone through their whole lives. Not, not feeling the way I did. Like they, they live with it every single day. Yeah. They live with people saying that like that feeling of not being welcome every day uh, of being afraid of what a policeman might do to them if they mm-hmm. get pulled over every day. And, you know, there's also this weird sense of guilt that I have where I'm like, mm-hmm. am I doing enough? Like, mm-hmm. like, I mean, am, am I going to, am I going to pass this along to my daughter? Uh, am I, I mean, like how, how do I make sure that my daughter <laughs> is in the right mm-hmm. frame of mind? Right. Because I don't want her hanging out with the wrong people, which is a very easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's just a very confusing thing. I wish, I wish I had the answer. I mean, I was lucky. I was lucky enough to be not I was raised in a very, a very equal minded family. I'm Mm. very blessed for that. Um, Yeah, yeah. I can, I can totally relate. It's like the, the, the heartbreaker for me over the last, we, we uh, lived in inner city Charlotte for a while in our mid twenties. And, we were, we were the minority in that neighborhood and that was eye opening and it was really powerful and, and obviously touring a lot. Just when whatever town you're from touring changes your perspective because you meet so many people, oh, yeah. so many yeah. backgrounds. And it's, it's like the best thing for you to meet yeah. amazing people with different perspectives, different beliefs than your own. Um, but it, I was able to believe for so long, even after I finally saw it. Cause at first you didn't see it. Like, well, no one treated me bad and I've never treated anyone bad. So these are like isolated incidents. There's no systematic problem. Then when you start seeing the systematic problem, it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to address that because by treating every person I meet as the way I feel, they're all equal in my eyes, love them all. There's none of that matters to me. And now I'm like, I think what a lot of us are waking up to is like, oh, me alone is not a, like, there are some systems we're going to have to address. Like right. me, me just being close friends with my black mm-hmm. neighbors isn't going to fix it by itself. And that's yeah. at, thir- at 37 is like, well, dang, like, what do I do? Cause I've pretty much as an artist, like not paid much attention to like, I exactly mean, like 25 years, 25. I feel like 25 years I've been not complicit, but I haven't been as, as forceful as I've needed to be, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I'm mm. like muscle shoals uh, in the 1960s was, a beacon of, of hope for the South. It really was nobody. Like you walk into that, 
that studio and you could and like there were black people and white people working together day and night writing songs playing music and then they would go to lunch and they couldn't even eat at the same table it's insane in mm. the 60s and and it's like i don't know it's uh I feel you like the touring is a great way to get perspective on all of that. But at a certain point you have to make sure it's, I feel like it's almost like your obligation, your, your duty to, to make sure that you're like actively pursuing changing somebody's mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been going out of my way to try to like, you know, do it on a personal level, but now it's like, well, dang, it's going to take more than that. Like it's going to take, I'm going to have to address the system somehow. And I don't, I don't know yet. I mean, I grew up kind of uh, on and around like punk rock, which is, you know, very against authority, very against yeah. systems. And, and, and also I grew up like in the soup of grunge music. So now it's like, Oh, now I'm becoming the kind of age person who is supposed to fix broken things. Like I can't go, I can't keep looking at the yeah, next generation going, <laughs> It's like, oh, it's us now. Like we yeah. vote. You and I are almost old enough. Like, was it Kennedy like our age when he was president? Like <laughs> God. the crap. God. So Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like well, you know, it is kind of up to our our generation. It's it's the balls in our court now. Right. And mm-hmm. it's right. a hard thing. I guess it's a hard thing to 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 deal with. Yeah. Realize it. Are there 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 are no pieces up in your store right now that are from this this period of artwork? All this I don't stuff? think so. Uh, well, no, I take that back. I'm sorry. Yes, there are. Um, I did, uh, <clears throat> I did one of a, of a, of a, of a house in the clouds and, um, that was cool by the way. I like that. <clears throat> oh, thank you. Yeah. That was a lot of fun to paint. Um, that's an old, that's an old gas station. Um, I can't remember. It's in Alabama somewhere. But that building is like an old gas station that I found. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Home in the clouds. Taking a lot of photos yeah. on tour for that stuff. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, I want to paint that. Boom. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I do try, I try to, but I don't know. Most, most of the time, honestly, a couple of times in the past, I've Googled old dilapidated buildings <laughs> and, like that. and just, and just like put it in there. Mm-hmm. But like I do, I do try to go get my own photos as reference photos because um, if you just like use a reference photo offline, what's the difference? You just print off a picture of the church, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, you're, but you, but to be fair, you are reimagining all of these. These are not realism. No. Pa- paintings, you know, like you're, you're no, doing no. something with them, you know? Oh, I but, thought it was all Trump lawyer. I was looking right at it. I thought it was like straight <laughs> up one for one. The, uh, is there, like I, I kind of came to this realization when I was uh, younger and painting a lot where I was like, I was trying every, every day I was trying to paint, I was trying to like get better at realism. Mm-hmm. And then uh, finally I was like, what, what am I doing? This is, you know, realism is kind of boring because mm-hmm. you're really just showing off skills. Mm-hmm. And, you're not saying uh, anything. You're not saying anything. You're saying zilch. You're saying, Hey, look at how good I am at painting that's what you're saying mm-hmm. and i feel like now or at least at the time it was all about okay i'm the filter i've i've got to uh approach paintings as you know um as a uh, interpretation of whatever the subject is mm. 
is there some stuff on the that's up right now because we're gonna give people links and stuff to look up on that you're really like your some of your favorite pieces that are up in your store online um i really like the specter church that's cool that one was a lot of fun to do that um that was i like the church itself um so that the interesting uh, story behind that one I, w- I was like three or four paintings into that that series of doing churches and stuff and found the specter church and it turns out that specter is actually not a real town it it's a uh, it's the town that they built for that movie big fish oh, i love that movie oh, yeah okay. so so but it's this is crazy so they filmed that movie and um i feel like it's 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 just south of Birmingham. It's like maybe an hour and a half south of Birmingham. They filmed it. They left the the, uh, the town there. They didn't tear it down or anything. They just left it there. Mm. And so there's like this in the middle of nowhere. There's this ghost town, and they <laughs> called it and and they called it Spectre. And there's no roads or anything to it. Uh, and you can that's the creepiest part. It's crazy. You should, you guys should definitely Google it because it's like today it is just a total ghost town. Uh, And that church is the church uh, that they built for the movie. Oh, this is the one that they walk into that there's no roads. Like, oh, I remember it very well. Yeah. 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 So they, yeah, that's the, that's the church they built for the movie. And it's still there just like rotting away. Uh, slowly, and so I, awesome. I kind of paint. I kind of painted it how it how it appears today. It's sort of like falling apart and rotting a little bit. But I also made I, I put like a coat of turquoise paint on the outside of it just because it looked really good with the red. Oh yeah, in the background, <laughs> it, it wasn't actually turquoise in real life. But it pops. I like that painting. I liked. Um, one or two other ones. Yeah, I can't encourage people <laughs> enough to go look at it because yeah, go so much of them, so much of them are like a story in and of themselves. Like they're the first one that grabbed my attention was the uh, failure upon reentry. That just like immediately yeah. was like, oh, that's there's such a story. I mean, it looks like a scene from a movie. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I hope that movie's not Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's Aaron's favorite movie when, when I was 16 I thought that was the best movie I'd ever seen <laughs> Man. we had it very different 16 year old years doesn't hold up it doesn't hold up does not hold up at all what's the guy's name who, who directed that Bruce Willis oh the director <laughs> <laughs> isn't it uh, a Michael Bay movie that's a Michael yes. Bay film yeah, yeah. well I'm yes. way into time is on my side man I love that face so uh, much oh yeah that one is cool I'm into that um, Tiles I thought that, on my side. Yeah, that, that painting. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. One. When I saw that painting, I thought the ti- I thought the title underneath was going to be "Yes, it is." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <get> it. <laughs> um, well, bro, we don't want to. We, we super appreciate you hopping on this with us, and it's been a blast. And, and it, yeah, it was it was sure. so much fun. Yeah, thank you so um, much. We Truly, we do one. Uh, we do well before we do this. I'll ask you um, for like where can people find you obviously your prints are on big cartel if you google bro and lawler but who what do you want to say as far as music who you are like where do people find you what do you what do you want to say what are your socials man you may not um, want people to follow you that's what i'm kind of like oh no it's a, it's it's okay uh 
I post links and stuff because uh, I'm a capitalist. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, to my Instagram all the time. It's just Bro and Lawler. Everything is Bro and Lawler cool. at whatever because not a common name. Has my name. It's great. <laughs> Lucky. Uh, and then uh, Bro and Lawler Prince is is at BigCartel.com is my website, and then you can find my music with St. Paul and the Broken Bones at St. Paul. Paul and the broken bones.com. Cool. And definitely go check out all of that. It's all super cool. So what we do uh, to close out each chat is we do something called thanks, no thanks. And you pick one thing that you are either thankful for or not thankful for from the last week or so. Um, You don't do one of each. You just got to pick, you can, you can give a no thanks or a thanks and we'll go first. And then uh, you can be thinking about what you want your thanks, no thanks to be. Okay. Nate, what's your what's yours? Uh, I'm just gonna thank all the people protesting, mm-hmm. uh, and not to not because they're more important, but I'm gonna thank specifically my friends. Uh, I'm not gonna name all my f- friends, but I have a lot of you know. I lived in Minneapolis for 27 years, and I have so many friends out there, like and they're just super inspiring to me Mm -hmm. and humbling and i'm so proud of them and like my wife went and and brought donations and water to people in here in atlanta like yesterday and i'm just super grateful to those people who are out there doing it thank you well yeah i'll go a totally different direction because i i would would 100 percent agree with him uh and I've gone back and forth on this. I was going to say no thanks to the gopher underneath my house, the woodchuck that keeps waking me up and eating up the underside of my house. But now I'm going to say thanks to myself because I caught him in a oh, trap. Right on. And, and dude, I went outside a couple mornings ago and he was in the trap looking at me, just looking at me. And it's a, it's a, he was alive. It was a, it was a, uh, humane humane trap and i was like i felt like i won the super bowl i was like yeah because i've been trying for two weeks to catch that sucker and i caught him and i drove him over the river into indiana and released him in a park where he could just be happy and because it's not his fault he's doing his thing but i'm actually gonna say no thanks to the other groundhog that apparently also no, lives you can't under my do house. that you can't <laughs> do no, that i'm not oh, i'm dude, just you I'm every week no, I'm every week people every try this week. <laughs> I'm settling. I'm telling you how my process I'm ending. My only official is a no thanks to the actual gopher that lives under my house. I still have work to do. You caught the wrong one. You're saying I caught a one, but apparently there's more than one. Well, uh, so bro. And yeah, that's usually the vibe, but you you joined us on a pretty crazy week. So I appreciate you kind of hanging in the, uh, (laughs) the heaviness with us here. Uh, cause I'm going to give a no thanks. I'm going to go the heavy route as well. I'm going to give a no thanks to racists. To yeah, to uh, I'm gonna go with no thanks to the media for not doing a great job at putting out positive, hopeful messaging as well. Um, I appreciate them making aware us aware of what's going on, but um, I just had enough between the pandemic and this of of the media really just uh, seeming to avoid any sign of hope or positivity. And I think it's really adding to the chaos and the negativity. Um, and I think, I think we can do better. So 
I'm going to give a no thanks to that. It's been on my mind with, with a couple conversations I've been having. It's just, it's just tearing people up, man. All, all we're seeing is negative messaging and it's, it's just going to instigate and instigate and instigate. So, uh, yeah, that's my no thanks this week. Ron, what you got? I'm going to give a big fat no thanks to somebody, <laughs> uh, that you might know named Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. But I'm, I'm going to get specific. Okay, uh, that's what we want. That would really I, help I, with that guy. We kind of need yeah. it. I know. Um, yeah, what could that, you possibly say? <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, he's he's not a really a likable character uh, at all. But I really didn't like the fact that he seems to have been okay with tear gassing completely innocent people mm-hmm. in order f- to get a photo out with a really terrible photo op um, with in front of a church holding a Bible that wasn't his. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. I don't know. He seems like a good Christian yeah, man. We haven't me, even, bro. we haven't even touched that. We haven't even touched that. I know. And, I, know. and I, and I don't, I, I don't like going there as a rule. No, we should. It's well, we're all on the same page. I'm yeah, just saying but we have, but we have to like, yeah, I, I feel like my hands are tied. I mean, I was just, I was just talking to my mother about this the other day. My mother's a lifelong Republican and isn't anymore because mm. of him. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, hey, good on her, man. Yeah, for I mean, yeah. like, no, she's, that's she's awesome. super unique. Yeah. Uh, Nate, this is out of left field. Do you know Lizzo? Uh, not personally. Not, <laughs> okay. But, so the, the funny she, thing she is. She rules. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah she's awesome. Um, she... Like she was a part of the Minneapolis scene for a really long time. Yeah. So I saw her perform a bunch of times. Um, just, you know, she would, they would have, we have like Doom Tree is uh, the, basically the big independent hip hop label in Minneapolis. And there's like all these amazing artists to varying degrees of fame. You've got rappers like Atmosphere and Brother Ali. Um, and you've got, like this huge or, or like POS. Um, and there's this huge community of like amazing underground hip hop. And Lizzo kind of came up in that group. And it was like the, I, I don't want to say, I don't like, I love Minneapolis, but one of the things that kind of pushed me to move, you know, to out, away to, to Atlanta was that Minneapolis is very content with like, staying with like being this sort of insular like music community that sticks together and doesn't there's not a lot of national acts that come out of there but there's amazing music like it's crazy how many talented people are there and how many artists that could easily blow up and get big but it's like the community there is like is just very happy to just stay there you know it's like we made prints we don't need to prove anything like yeah <laughs> yeah we do, proved, do you know we everything do you know uh, do you know i Lizzo? uh i i don't i mean I, we we worked together a little bit uh, a few years ago uh we first time we, we worked together we were at south by southwest and i think 2013 and she sat in with us and did a cover of a change is going to come Oh, oh my man. goodness! With, is that, is that available? Okay, there we go. Yeah, it's 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 actually under uh, our Spotify. It's like a Spotify live release, and um, I 
would suggest listening to that because mm-hmm. her and Paul do this like back and forth and it, oh, it's crazy. I got to check that out. It was a moment. And then, uh, and then she came and, and uh, sat in with us on a few songs and we were in, I don't think we were in Minneapolis. I think it was like Indianapolis or somewhere. And she just happened to be there. But um, we, cr- we crossed paths a few times and, you know, worked together a bunch and she's, hilarious and warm and awesome and exactly who you think she is um and uh and then she just exploded man last year i i I saw i saw her tiny desk the same way i found her at i found you guys i watched it while i was working i was like i am gonna show this to my wife and she's going to love her and so we got in bed one i was like babe you're gonna watch this for 15 minutes and i put it on and my wife it, it ended and she goes i love her like yeah. her 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 heart is like so clear when she plays but, music hey i'm telling you she's like that person that's like awesome. um that's why she, i think you can tell i think you can tell yeah you can see the authenticity uh like i, I remember i was on a golf cart at, we were playing sasquatch festival and uh she was on the back of a golf cart in front of my golf cart so she was like looking back at me and uh and, and I, like, she was talking to her friend next to her and I was like, Lizzo, I yelled at her mm-hmm. and, uh, she looked over and she was like, and she was like, Oh, oh my God. Hey. And she started waving at me and we never actually, this was like three years ago, but she, I mean, that's just how she is. She's mm-hmm. very personable and, and, uh, authentic, you know? That's cool. So and, obviously and, we named this episode Lizzo keeps it real. That's the name yes. of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Um, Hey, I want to put an asterisk on on uh, my rambling, if that's okay. I'm, yes. I'm sorry if I no, got go for it. This week has been crazy, and I I think maybe I'm I'm taking it a little bit hard. So if I rambled, um, no man, that's too much about some of this stuff. I'm I'm still trying to make sense of it all, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I I could feel myself trying to work it out as I was mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. So I'm I'm sorry if I went that, along. That, that no, that's the point. We this kind of birthed out of us being on tour together and just processing life together. And that whenever we have someone else in the with on tour, like the conversation is always so enjoyable and enlightening, and it's such a safe place for us to process. So that's always the hope is that it's kind of that vibe. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. 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 No, I don't know what your that. van or bus vibe is like, but we just talk the whole time, city to city. <laughs> yeah. It's Dude. just and so like. No asterisk needed. And when you do figure it out, hit us up, let us know so we can stop trying yeah, to figure, figure it out. When you figure out, there's just the answer. Just let us know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. You sure. figure it out, write a song that Paul and Lizzo can both sing together. Oh, man. There we go. And man, I'm, you guys need to check out that changes. Yeah, I'm going to go check it out right after this, man. Right, we're ending because this episode was, so we can go listen to it right now. That's right. Do we have permission, like, do we have like permission to those... play that on this episode? That's what we need to know. It was yeah uh, yeah I mean I don't, yeah. I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't even I mean like I think you'd have to technically ask Spotify yeah and, uh, and maybe Sam Cook I'm not but, asking uh, them yeah <laughs> Sam <laughs> Cook he's probably get easy to get a hold of yeah uh, but uh, it is one thing like there was a moment at the end of the song where I was I was like playing guitar and and it was like I knew. I knew I probably wouldn't be on stage with two of two singers of that caliber ever mm. again at the same mm. time. You know, that's awesome. Uh, it was it was really it was really deep. That sounds amazing. It's got it's it, that song is just timely. So 
thanks for that. And thank you so much again yeah, for Thanks. joining us we had a blast hope you had a good time and uh yeah, I had a great hopefully time. our paths across it was so great to talk future. to somebody that's not three years old so thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> well yeah spread the word tell lizzo we'll have her on if she really yeah. wants to do, right, it. We'll yeah. do it we'll do it lizzo I'll, I'll, I'll drop her a line well we'd love to have her on the dad cast i feel like she's had yeah. a lot to say <laughs> oh man she'd dominate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no more dad than lizzo <laughs> All right, right. guys. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Have a good evening. All right. Bye-bye. Between the Notes is an Epicenter production.